quiet now, so it's perfect. Let me mute myself so that the NDPP can then speak. Yes, which um, the laptop should be using.
everybody. Uh, good morning to NDPP and to your team. plenary was not approved so we should try and fit everything between now and two o'clock um, both the NTPP, the NPA and the public protector South Africa uh, we should be done by two so we will stick to the correspondence that we sent you I hope you have received it uh, NTPP uh, that presentation would be 30 minutes. Yes, Chair, thank you. We will we will stick to the 30 minutes. Thank you very much, NTPP. Uh, once again, uh, welcome. Um, we don't want to eat into your time. We will take this opportunity to hand over to you to brief us on your budget and your APPs for 2022 2023. Uh, over to you, NTPP. Thank you very much. Um, good morning, Honorable Chair and Honorable um, Members. Um, today, we present to you um, our 2022 2023 annual performance plan. Um, and this follows the minister's briefing to this uh, honorable committee on the 10th of May. Um, I should say that we have taken note of some of the comments that were made in the minister's briefing as well, and we'll try to address some of them in this presentation, but we are aware of the time constraints. Um, honorable chair, honorable members, um, the NPA, as we all know, and we appreciate and recognize, plays a key role in upholding the rule of law in South Africa. Um, we continue to face many challenges, um, but we are prevailing, and, and that's important. Um, we can move to slide three, perhaps. Uh, um, over the past few years, um, you know, I am in office for three years already, as we are aware, um, we have really dedicated our efforts um, to ensure that we build a solid NPA that is fit for purpose. And these are just a few introductory words that will actually... Um, contextualize our, our plan moving forward, our APP. Um, and so, you know, we, we have worked tirelessly and we are working tirelessly to ensure that we do hold people accountable for a whole range of crimes in this country. Um, but in particular, at this point in time, uh, for state capture, um, we are determined to bring to book and to hold to account those who continue to flout the rule of law and to undermine the rule of law. Um, as we've previously said, um, the rule of law might be battered, but it is far from being defeated. And we will ensure, do whatever we can, to ensure that it is not defeated. Um, we're currently in, in the midway of implementing our five-year strategic plan. Um, our rebuilding efforts are delivering fruit. Um, our plan hasn't changed much. We are on track uh, to deliver on our key strategic priorities. 
um, although we have had to do some nimble prioritization, um, which I think is fully understandable in the circumstances, as this speaks to the heart of corruption. Um, the minister uh, addressed us at our strategic planning session earlier this year, and he indicated that, um, you know, while we, we focus on, on many things, what we are perhaps not focusing enough on is modernization. And therefore, our plan um, needs our plan needs to accommodate this, not only be fit for purpose now, but it needs to be future-proof as well. We also need to be flexible to respond to a whole range of emerging crimes that are committed through the use of digital technology. Um, the NPA remains, remains committed to, to dealing very robustly with sexual and gender-based violence, and our soccer unit is doing incredibly good work together with prosecutors, but it's still a, a, a huge challenge. It is one of those crimes uh, that undermines people's feelings of safety. Um, and, you know, so these are case, these are crimes that we need to give a lot of attention to. But the reality is that right now, our response to the findings and recommendations uh, to the Judicial Commission of Inquiry into State Capture is what will really be defining for the NPA and for South Africa. Um, the recent release of the Zondra Commission reports have highlighted how much damage state capture has done to our country and the need for us in the NPA to act with a sense of urgency, not to, to, um, not to res uh, respond to pressure, because uh, that's when we make mistakes, but to act with a sense of urgency with razor sharp focus on particular cases. Uh, we are determined to ensure that those implicated in state capture uh, are held to account. Um, this will rebuild public confidence, um, which is closely linked to investor confidence and also to economic growth in South Africa, which will help the poorest and the most vulnerable in our country and also deal uh, with the increasing inequality gap in South Africa. Um, we have evidence plans we have put in place um, to, to deal with what we call a few seminal corruption cases, to bring a few seminal corruption cases to court in the short term. We are, we are talking about three to six months. Um, this is our razor sharp focus that we speak about and primarily it is on the ID. Um, and we need to make sure that accountability for corruption is the norm and not the exception. Uh, we know we must do better. Uh, we are far from where we want to be. But there's been notable progress in the past year. We, of course, not presenting on the progress in the past year. We will present that uh, to the committee um, uh, soon. But right now, we want to contextualize the fact that um, we are working really hard and um, in the context of the plan that we will present. Um, slide four, please, um, Nomi. Thank you. Um, Honorable Chair, honorable colleagues, as I said, um, you know, the next six months is going to be defining and testing for the NPA. Uh, we've had to reorganize ourselves. We've had to refocus. Uh, we've had to prioritize very, very carefully to ensure that we respond comprehensively to the series of Zondo Commission mm -hmm. report. I, I do want to say, uh, Chair and honorable colleagues, but whether a name is mentioned or not mentioned in the Zondo Commission report will not be whether the NPA prosecutes or decides not to prosecute. 
We follow our own processes and we will follow the evidence at the end of the day in our decisions to prosecute or not to prosecute. Um, Chair, we are, we are closely collaborating. Uh, we've set up an NPA task force um, and, and the, the point which is now includes the DPCI. Um, and the point of this is really to enhance collaboration on high profile corruption cases, to make sure that we know where the cases are, that we are working together to ensure that we are not tripping over each other and we are giving the, the correct um, resources um, and coordination and collaboration with regard to bringing these cases to court. Um, capacitation is still key. Um, the expanded powers and the permanence of the ID is really an important issue. And the minister has also talked to the permanence of the ID and we, this will be a, a critical um, issue in terms of being able to move the work of the ID forward. Um, we've had um, ongoing engagements with the uh, Zondo Commission, in particular with regard to the Digital Forensic Lab. And I must say that in this regard, we've had very, very constructive discussions um, in the recent weeks. Um, and I'm very confident that we will be able to, um, that we've reached an agreement in terms of how the ID can get access to critical information um, at this time. Um, we're also looking at specialized skills. Um, in terms of asset forfeiture, we're also looking at uh, collaboration with international, exploring collaboration with international firms to trace and recover stolen monies. We've realized that if we want to bring back uh, the billions, in fact, it's been estimated, it's almost a trillion rand that's been stolen from state capture, we need to have a very bold and innovative asset recovery strategy. Um, and we've worked on that. Um, and we certainly think that it will give us the best op opportunities to try to get close to recovering those, those lost and stolen uh, monies. Um, we're also looking at, uh, we're at, well, at an advanced stage of developing um, um, non-prosecution decision policy, which will also assist us in this regard. Um, the office is also conducting a still skills assessment so whilst we are onboarding skills from external sources as well, um, we want to ensure that we create skills in-house to make sure that the NPA is able to, to deal with these matters without depending too much on external resources. Um, next slide, please. This is slide five. Colleagues, um, We've said that, you know, um, we've, we've had, well, we committed to the portfolio committee uh, that we will have a smooth transition with regard to the ID leadership. And indeed, the transition has been seamless. Advocate Andrea Johnson, um, who's taken over as the ID, is a career prosecutor and she has an impeccable track record. And um, she has unwavering support from the national director as well as EXCO. And um, we do believe that the ID is, is indeed poised for action. Um, the ID has declared a number of investigations. You see it on the slide. Um, we've enrolled 20 cases, 65 accused. And in the, in the next six months, the ID has pri prioritized nine corruption matters. And when we say prioritized, it doesn't mean that there isn't other work happening in the NPA. But these are what we refer to as seminal cases that will talk to the heart of state capture. Um, we have to look at finding bold and innovative ways 
of leveraging on private sector support whilst we importantly protect the independence of the NPA and comply with relevant, in particular, treasury regulations, etc. Um, we have in the NPA adopted a new monitoring system to ensure implementation of our plan moving forward and to ensure accountability, both internally and externally. And so we are looking at this uh, uh, performance review um, in three, uh, three review um, phases, so to speak. Um, one is the organizational performance review, which is quite compliance-based and which we report on Parliament to Parliament on. Um, the other one is looking at our six-month priority review. So we have a very, very ambitious six-month priority plan. And the second level of, of uh, implementation and review talks to the implementation of the six-month priority plan, which focuses very heavily on bringing corruption and state capture cases to court. And then we have a third level of review, which deals with our strategic initiatives. Um, and I'll talk a little bit about that in a moment. And we really recognize that we have to focus on innovation, on transformation and upholding the highest standards of ethics throughout the organization. Next slide, please, Salome. Um, These are the strategic outcomes that I mentioned, honorable chair, honorable members. Um, that we're also tracking, although in the background. Um, our high-level outcomes are, are set out in our strategy, um, you know, increasing people's feelings of safety and security as members um, have, one or two members have pointed out that the fact that we comply with our organizational performance targets doesn't necessarily increase people's feelings of safety and security. And we're looking at how our strategic initiatives can actually help us in that regard. And here we're looking at the, the community prosecutions initiatives. We're looking at a housebreaking initiative to make sure that we have targeted interventions that help um, increase people's feelings of safety and security. Um, improving investor confidence through high level, high impact prosecutions. Um, we are looking at, uh, and the third one is increased access to NPA services. And all of these strategic initiatives talk to those high level outcomes. Building an IPAC institution, um, you know, it's, it's about independence, professionalism, accountability, and credibility. And, and we have been working very, very hard on this. We have done solid groundwork um, to conceptualize this. And we are working with what we call IPAC champions um, in the organization to ensure that we, we have an IPAC NPA for the future. Um, the Community Prosecutions Initiative is a really important initiative. Uh, it looks at long-term sustainable uh, uh, solutions to, to our crime problems. Um, it, it, uh, we have 22 community, community prosecution sites, sites that have been established, and we're working with communities as well as with, with a number of key partners, in particular communities, to address social irritants. For example, um, well, I wouldn't call this a social irritant, but one of social irritants like maybe uh, stop theft, well, even that's not a, it's a really serious crime, but also like bullying in school, perhaps. We look at a whole range of things, drug and alcohol-related incident um, offenses. We're looking at gender-based violence in, in particular areas. So this is a very good collaborative initiative to try to find long-term solutions to these issues in particular areas. Uh, we are increasing the footprint into Tuzela Care Centers. Um, you will see much more increased expansion 
Um, our IPP is, I think, conservative, which we will talk about, we will see in a moment. Um, we are hoping that together with the work that the soccer unit is doing with, with private partners, that we will be able to ensure the creation of even more Tutuzela care centers in the future. Um, I talked about the non-prosecution decision policy. I won't, in the interest of time, go through that. The Office of Ethics and Accountability, we've also talked about that um, in, in this uh, to this committee, and we are certainly moving um, with um, setting up that office. Uh, we've sent the regulations to the minister, and we hope that with those will be promulgated soon. NPA independence, um, you know, there's a whole range of issues that relate to this. Uh, we are grateful to civil society and academia in this regard, and we continue to have discussions for an independent prosecution uh, service in South Africa, a truly independent prosecution service. Um, our Office of Innovation and Policy, uh, Innovation and Policy Support Office has defined a number of really interesting and cutting edge solutions, um, uh, solutions based projects um, to drive innovation across the organization. Uh, I talked about the housebreaking pro project um, and we've created innovation teams throughout the NPA, which we are hoping will give us some good results in terms of trying to deal uh, with some of the challenges we face um, in, a, in, a, in a better way. And uh, enhancing uh, NPA communication, that's the last one. Um, we are trying to really implement, um, we've moved too fast to the slide, but it's fine, it's just the last, we can stay there. Just on communications, I we are really trying to- minutes. I left with 15, 15 minutes. 15 minutes. Yes. Thank you, Chair. So I'm not going to talk about communications, but it's really an important issue that we are also dealing with. We can move to slide seven. Uh, getting to the the, um, the the APP and and our indicators, chair. Uh, the first sub outcome one: increased feelings of safety and security. Um, there's there's not much that has changed here, um, and we continue to measure the indicators as reflected. You will notice cable theft here, which is a, a really important issue. We recently had. Um, important engagement with Eskom, with the CEO himself, in terms of how to deal with a whole range of issues, including cable theft. Next slide. Chair, slide eight, um, there are two new output, output indicators here. Firstly, the number of investigations authorized and number of state capture matters enrolled. These are specifically linked to the ID in order to ensure that there's adequate response to corruption of these seminal matters in relation to the ID's mandate. We should say that it's not only nine cases that we hope, but these are seminal matters that we hope to bring this year that are going to talk to the heart of corruption. But under the one, uh, the, the one above that, that's number of persons convicted of corruption um, or other offenses related to corruption, there's a number of matters there that will sit in the SCCU space, uh, working together with the DPCI. Um, slide nine, talking about the, the AFU, um, we've adopted two, um, you know, as I said, you know, novel and bold approaches are needed in this in this space. Um, the non-prosecution decision um, and the purpose of this strategy is really to curtail lengthy and protracted protracted litigation and to ensure much quicker recoveries. Uh, and the other one is really engaging with international partners to try to fast track the recovery of of money that has been removed to foreign jurisdictions. Next next slide. Um, chair improved um, services um, to NPA, improved access to NPA services. I talked about the number of Tutuzela care centers, um, the conviction rate in, in sexual offenses, 
um, and public awareness sessions that, that speak for themselves. Next slide, please. Anton comes along. Uh, we move on to the budget chair, and I will now hand over to Advocate Anton Duplessy, um, Deputy National Director in charge of Strategy, Operations, and Compliance, to deal with this aspect. Uh, good morning, uh, Chair and Honourable Members. Um, thank you very much for this opportunity. I'm aware of the time constraints, so I'll go through this quite quickly and we can obviously answer questions as needed. But I think the first point to make is that, uh, you know, the NPA appreciates the additional funding allocations that were made uh, in recent months that have really uh, improved our budget situation. We particularly understand... Uh, uh, how valuable this is and in, uh, in this type of fiscal environment that we're working in uh, and we're making do with with what we have for now but I think a key point that I would like to to stress in the budget presentation particularly moving forward um, is that we have indicated that to deliver on the mandate and the expectations and the growing complexity of the environment that we operate in um, we are going to need additional funding we're going to need not just additional um, additional funding from the from the fiscus, but we're also going to have to find, as the National Director and the Minister have said, bold and innovative ways in terms of how we actually spend that money to make sure that we're spending it on the right things uh, in the most efficient way. So uh, just a, a quick snapshot of the budget. Uh, Chair, you'll see that we are allocated a budget of $4.53 over the 2021 financial year. Um, this budget allocation includes the additional I think it was uh, 90, 89 million that was allocated during the AE&E process. Um, and we're pleased to report that the unaudited expenditure at the end of the financial period um, was uh, very close to uh, on track with our budget, which was 4.6 billion. Uh, the slight over expenditure was related to goods and services, but the Department of Justice uh, has environmented an additional amount of 90 million um, that was given to the, the NPA um, to cover those things. It's mainly library subscriptions and witness fees, etc. Um, and once we'd got that amount, the NPA had spent 101% uh, of its budget um, before the environment and just about 13 million uh, underspent after the environment. But that's in relation to um, license fees that are being paid, uh, that are going to be paid soon. So we've asked for a rollover of that amount. So I think uh, the, the good news is that we were pretty much on track with spending 100% of our budget um, within the, the time period. Next slide, please. Um, you will see the additional allocation that we've, uh, we've been very appreciative of over the uh, MTF, uh, A&E and MTF processes was that we got an additional 1.1 billion over the MTF period. Um, and this funding was very specifically linked to the prioritization process that the NDPP has spoken about, um, very specifically focusing on the capacitation um, of the investigative directorate and the skills needed to be able to deal with complex crime. It also has been allocated to bolster, boost the, the capacity of our witness protection program, which retains 100% uh, compliance in terms of its, uh, its deliverables. Um, and this has really helped us uh, with um, a significant amount of the priority uh, amount uh, um, expenditure that was needed. Um, next slide, please. You'll see that uh, we've just, on this slide, just broken down the additional uh, allocation on what we're going to be spending it on. You'll see 
in terms of the aspirant prosecutors. We're still on track to bring in 700 additional aspirant prosecutors. Uh, we spoke about the asset forfeiture and the senior advocates there. And you'll see, importantly, 91 investigators and prosecutors um, into the ID. And then, of course, we've tied uh, the additional capacity that we've brought into the goods and services budget in relation to that. So that's basically an overview of how we've uh, allocated the additional money that was spent. What is important there is, again, to see the increase in the witness protection uh, expenditure for the coming three years, which of course does tie to the nature of the cases we're dealing with and the increased focus uh, that the NPA is placing on witness protection. Um, and then you'll also see quite a focus on, on, on technology, and that's in line with the, the priority around um, sort of the modernization of the criminal justice system and the NPA. So next slide. Um, these ones are just this, these are just two slides that give a, a summary of the growth per economic classification. I won't go into details, Chair, but I think what is important to note is that over the coming three years or the the, uh, the medium term estimates, we are looking at a budget growth even with the additional amounts of just under four percent. So even although we do see the increase in our budget once you take inflation into account, as we've said to previous uh, sittings, that um, it's actually uh, not a, a significant increase after inflation, which uh, sits, I think, at higher than 3.9%. Uh, so that's just important to bear in mind uh, as we consider the implications of our budget increases over the coming period. Next slide, please. Uh, you can go to the next one. So this is really the, the key slide, I think, for us moving forward as a future, as a forward-looking uh, process, where we've said that uh, you know, we've spoken about issues around expansion of, of the ID. We've spoken about the permanence of it. Uh, we've spoken quite a lot uh, recently and, and in, in the media and to, to this committee about the importance of the expansion and the strengthening of the legal framework within which the ID and the AFU in particular operate. So what we've done is we've, uh, uh, we, we have indicated to um, uh, the National Treasury through our minister that for the next period, um, we would be looking at an additional amount that would be required. And the NDPP has spoken about a fit-for-purpose and future-proof NPA. This amounts to approximately $715 million per year over the next MTF period. Um, and we can speak about it in question time, if you like. But this is really about focusing on the specialization that's needed, the additional capacity in the context of um, growing uh, complexity of corruption, organized crime, and crimes particularly committed within the digital environment. So you'll see there's quite a lot of money allocated uh, in this request, wish list request, if you'd like, uh, to additional capacity, but also to the modernization of the NPA, uh, to the capacitation of the investigative directorate and the specialized aspects of our National Prosecution Service dealing with these crimes. And then, of course, you can't do that without coupling it to the uh, mm -hmm. concomitant increase capacity of our witness protection, uh, in our witness protection capacity. So um, this is a, a discussion for, for future presentations and for future engagement for the committee, but we thought we'd be um, very clear and, and transparent now about our future needs in terms of our understanding, in terms of what we would need to deliver on the mandate and the expectations that we, we, we realize are growing by the day. Thank you. Um. Thank you, Anton. Um, in conclusion, Honourable Chair, Honourable Members, um, what I'd like to say is that we've, we've said this before and we know now more than, than ever that failure is not an option. 
the consequences for a country uh, are too terrible to contemplate. And so after three years of really working hard at rebuilding, laying a foundation of a very fractured NPA, we can say now with confidence that, you know, we've, we've, you know, that I wouldn't say the time of action have arrived because a lot of good work has happened. But the time for action with regard to certain seminal cases that have been very challenging in terms of investigations has come. And, you know, we're ready to, to rebuild the rule of law uh, in our country because we know how important that is in terms of the future of our country. Um, our hard work, you know, we worked really hard over the past 12 months. It is paying off. Um, you can see it internally. Our actions are starting to speak for themselves. Um, it is so that the ubiquitous taps of, of corruption are being turned off. Um, and it is so that no one controls the NPA. And we know that the long arm of justice, sometimes a bit too long, but it will catch up. Um, and, and we've been doing some, we're not where we want to be. We, we acknowledge and we accept that. But we are doing some really good work. And I think uh, when we hear the narrative that the NPA is doing nothing, um, that is not really helpful. It doesn't help um, the rule of law. It doesn't help to build the rule of law in this country. It does not help to build confidence in this country. And I mean, because we are looking forward and not backward when we do presentation, and if we ask, we have got facts and figures on some really good work that is happening in various parts of the country. And, you know, I, I, if we just take, for example, the Northwest, there have been a number of cases. This was one of the, the municipalities that's, that was placed under Section 100 um, um, administration. Sorry, my internet is unstable. I hope I'm, 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 you can still hear me. Um, and, and there's a number of cases that have been brought to court involving high-level municipal and provincial people, 17 cases enrolled, 19 people, former head of department, three former municipal managers, and a mayor. And I just give this an example of the fact that there's a lot of work that's happening. There's cases you go throughout the country, the Free State, the Eastern Cape, there's good work that's happening. But I agree and accept that the NPA is not where it needs to be. But we have a razor sharp focus for the next six months, and we will deliver on that. Um, and particularly in the ID space, and one might ask what has changed. What has changed is the key issues are the permanence of the ID. Mm -hmm. That has been, the minister has committed to that. The permanence of the ID, the fact that we are now, there's enhanced collaboration amongst the key role plays, in particular the ID, the DPCI, and the NPS, as well as the AFU, um, as well as the fact that there's a clear plan, there's a clear strategy, and our resourcing is being done in accordance with this. And importantly, there's prioritization and focus. You cannot focus on everything because then the chances are we'll achieve nothing. So that is why we're foc focusing on certain key cases, um, taking, of course, looking at the Zondo Commission reports, hugely important. But as I said, and I want to emphasize, the fact that people are mentioned or not mentioned in that report does not determine whether we decide to prosecute them or not. We utilize our own standards. We, it's the standard of, of, of proof in a criminal court is different. And we got to make sure that when we collect evidence, we meet that standard and we will prosecute on that basis. And I think it's really important to understand that distinction. We have a new leadership in place. Um, 
with advocate groups permanently. Um, we have a number of DPPs and a significant number of women in senior positions have been appointed in the NPA. And I think that should be enough to say that we are definitely going to make a difference in, in the coming year at least. Um, but uh, Chair, Honourable Chair, Honourable Members, uh, we're thankful for the budget growth, but Advocate Duplessis has indicated what the projections are. Um, we have a, a good five-year strategy. Our APP will provide guidance, and we just need to make sure that we stay on course, and we are committed to do that. Thank you very much, Honourable Chair, Honourable Members. Thank you very much, NDPP. Right on time. Uh, right on time. Thank you very much. Uh, it was just uh, three seconds less. So it's like your last budget, the one that you spent. Members? Can I take, uh, the, take the three seconds now, Chair? <laughs> <laughs> it has been waived already <laughs> when you said thank you. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, I have the following members, Honorable Dennis Breitenbach, Honorable Werner Horn, in, in that order. Okay. I can't seem to put my hand up my side, so it's swapped here as well, please. Honorable Steve Swart, Honorable Komoto Ramolubeng, Honorable David Drachens. Let me read it. Let me read them as they appear. It will be Honorable Dennis Breitenbach, Honorable Verna Horn, Honorable Swart, Honorable David Drachens, and then Honorable Komoto Ramolubeng. In that order. Honorable Glennis Breitenbach. Uh, thank you, um, Honorable Chairperson, and good morning to everybody. Um, may I start off by saying, um, Honorable Chairperson, that the NPA has had some successes in the past uh, few months. Uh, they are encouraging. They're not big. Let there be no mistake about that. Uh, nothing earth-shattering, but baby steps are good. And uh, as far as I've been able to track them, I have tried to acknowledge them. And, uh, and, and that's, uh, that's a positive thing. And uh, for, for that, uh, you know, we should be grateful. Honorable Dennis Pretenbach, yeah. maybe you should uh, deal with your camera. Okay, I'll switch it off. It's easier. So, yes, well done for the, the successes. Uh, but I think that uh, everybody will acknowledge that they're not earth-shattering. They're not the high-profile prosecutions that we hope to see. Uh, however, any, any success is, is a good thing. So, so for those, well done. Um, I'd be interested to know um, if you measure increased successful prosecutions, and if so, what is, that, uh, what is the progress there? I'd be interested to know if you uh, measure the, that profit is removed from crime, and if so, what is the progress there? And I'd be interested to know how you measure vulnerable and intimidated witnesses being successfully protected. Um, and what is the, the setup and the plan at the witness protection unit? And if that's a very long answer, you don't have to give it today, I'd be happy to receive it in writing, but then I do expect to receive it in writing and not on the never-never. 
I'd like to know, um, you mentioned that you need to improve cyber forensic skills amongst prosecutors and the ability to prosecute um, in the cyberspace. Well, uh, what is being done precisely to, to do that? Um, in my experience, the National Prosecuting Authority has always been 10 steps behind uh, criminal networks as far as access to technology is concerned. Um, I don't think anything has changed. What are we doing to to address that that problem? You embarked on a, a skills assessment. Yeah, Chair, I'm sorry. I'm sorry to interrupt, Chair. We seem to be uh, missi missing bits of the honourable members' questions. I'm not sure if it's just on our side or whether it's it's general, but it, it's yeah, erratic. We We're getting but sometimes missing a few key points. You can hear her clearly. I think the problem is on your side. Okay, we'll see what lack we can of, do, Chair. Thank you. Lack of modernization. Let me know if you don't hear the question, and I'll put it in the chat. Um, so I'd, I'd like to know more about your skills assessment and, and what, uh, what it delivered. You're saying, you're saying that um, the ID has prioritized nine corruption matters, well, um, and that we should watch the space for the next six months. Uh, I don't expect you to, to tell us on this platform which nine they are, uh, but um, you'll agree with me that there are many, many, many more than nine matters that require prioritization. Uh, and what is the plan to deal with? And those aren't my dogs making a noise, my neighbor's dogs, so there's nothing I can do. Um, what are your plans to deal with the, with the other uh, 1,999,999 that are not being prioritized right now? You say you need to leverage private sector assistance. Well, this is a, a tune that we've been singing for some time. It was not well received initially. I'm pleased to see that it's now regaining uh, some popularity. Uh, what precisely is the plan to leverage private sector assistance? Uh, I'm very aware of the fact that there's a lot of goodwill out there in the private sector requiring no quid pro quo. And it's not only financial, it's also skills, it's also um, infrastructure. And uh, I, would, I would like to know how you plan to leverage all of that goodwill that definitely exists out there. It's all very well to upskill the prosecutors. And it's all very well to offer training for prosecutors. I'm not sure precisely how far that training has progressed. Um, um, I, I don't know if Justice College still exists and if it does, what it does. Uh, but let's assume that you are upskilling prosecutors and let's assume that training is available in whatever form for prosecutors. It's absolutely no good if you don't have the police with you. Uh, so are you in conversation with the police about improving the skills of the police force and particularly the detectives? Because in their wisdom, the police closed down the detective academy they closed down the Commercial Crime Academy and, uh, and assumed that people were born policemen and could arrive at work and just become detectives, which, of course, is utter nonsense. 
And prosecutors are not detectives and they're not investigators. So what is being done to ensure that what the police deliver to the National Prosecuting Authority is a quality product? Because if it isn't, then, then you, it's very difficult for you to do your job. Specialist prosecutors may well be able to assist their investigators with investigations by giving direction and instruction. But the poor prosecutor in the regional court or the district court doesn't have that luxury. So what is being done to help those prosecutors get decent dockets to prosecute? I happened to be in Simonstown the other day and I visited one of the district court prosecutors, lovely fellow, totally overwhelmed, completely overwhelmed, A, with work and B, with lack of support. I have taken up with the DPP and she has been uh, very responsive, so I'm not complaining, I'm just saying. If that prosecutor in Simonstown is in that position, there must be hundreds of prosecutors across the country in the same position. And so what, what is being done to ensure that the police actually up their game? Because without them, the NPA is rendered uh, practically useless. You made mention of an office for complaints and ethics uh, to comply with section 225 of the NPA Act. Uh, what is the progress in this regard? I think it's quite important. And then you understandably quite strident about uh, criticism. So you say it's not helpful when people say the NPA is doing nothing. Well, yes, sure it's not helpful. It is the perception. Uh, it doesn't help the rule of law. Well, no, it doesn't help the rule of law, but it's not the general public's job to help the rule of law and it's your job to deal with their perceptions. So if the perception of the general public is that the NPA isn't performing satisfactorily, then that is the thing that needs to be addressed. And of course, the way to address it is produce results. Uh, I've got no doubt that uh, one, even one, just one, very high profile, successfully prosecuted, big corruption matter will silence your critics overnight. So the answer to, to the complaints about criticism is produce results. Uh, you say there's talk about making the um, ID permanent. Well, that's great. I'm, I'm disappointed to see that Andrea is not on the meeting today. Um, is she on the meeting? I've got to tell her to switch on her camera so we can have a look at her. Most of us haven't seen her. She's in the boardroom and the camera is on me, but we'll do it later. Oh, okay. Well, Andrea, congratulations, Ducks. I hope you do very, very well. She says thank you. Cool. Uh, then the FATF has found that uh, while South Africa has a solid legal framework to fight uh, money laundering and terrorist financing, uh, we're not actually terribly good at implementing that legal framework. Uh, both of these are really important also for international perceptions. Terrorist financing is alive and well in South Africa, and I think we all know it. It's an insidious, dangerous uh, way to spend your time. What is the National Prosecuting Authority and the, uh, and the rest of the legal framework that fights money laundering and terrorist financing doing to, uh, to up their game? Um, our game for this far has been quite dismal. Uh, 
So uh, I'd like to know if we're making any progress in that regard or is any attention being paid to it? And then there's this issue of, yeah? Yes. Maybe, I'm on my last question, Mr. Chair. Okay. I was, I was going to suggest maybe maybe we would have a second round. If you are doing a last question, it's fine. Okay, it's so last question. Then there's this issue that leaves me feeling a little uncomfortable, uh, and this is directed at the NDPP particularly, um, about public money being spent and then uh, the NDPP saying that uh, she doesn't want to discuss it on this platform or discuss it at all. Um, it's public money, and the public is entitled to an explanation of what's done with it. Uh, and the latest incident that bothers me is the arrangement with one Mr. Knox Malele, who was, uh, <laughs> who was uh, in the midst of a disciplinary, some agreement was reached with him, he's now left the employee of the NPA, a financial arrangement was made, and the details are the subject of a, uh, of a confidentiality clause. Um, that's unacceptable in my view. I'd like an explanation for that. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Thank you very much, Honorable Baranahorn. Yeah, thank you, Chair. Good morning from my side. Thank you for the presentation. Chair, I'm also unfortunately constantly getting messages that my bandwidth is low. So with your permission, I, uh, I will proceed to switch off my camera. No disrespect meant. Um, Yes, uh, Chair, a few matters from my side. Um, in addition to what the Honorable Breitenbach has said and, and, and referring back to slide four, um, I, I feel it needs to be said that unfortunately in respect of a, a few of the, the issues raised in slide four around a sharpening of focus, I think the time has now come for us to, to ask given the fact that some of these issues has been the, the, the part of the focus of, of the NPA and the NDPP since she took office, we, we have to ask, but, but what if that was intended to be part of the focus up to now, what, what has the, the focus produced? So, for example, the, the whole issue around the skills assessment, the Honorable Breitenbach has referred to it, but I think in, in practical terms we must ask whether it has been done and what it has revealed and ultimately what has been done up to now to address any skills shortages within the, the, the ranks of, of, of the NPA. So, and while I am on that subject, Chair, um, maybe some feedback around critical vacancies. Um, we see that at the AFU, which has been underperforming and we appreciate the the, the plans to address this, there's, as well as the sexual offences unit, there is very high vacancy rates. And then in addition to that, if one breaks it down, and I don't know whether this is related rather to the ID, uh, amongst specifically advocates, crime investigators, and financial professionals, the vacancies rates rate seem to remain at 28%, 50%, and 25% respectively. Um, and then if one contextualized that, Chair, further to the findings by the African Criminal Justice Reform Project of the Dula Omar Institute at the University of the Western Cape, 
which which have found that, and, and I quote them, drastic steps will have to be taken to prevent further resignations from, from the NPA. One also has to then uh, turn back to the, the, the uh, announcement by the NDPP when she took office about her project to ascertain the, the morale amongst the rank and file of the NPA and to address that. Um, so and ask what has that project produced up to now? Uh, then, Chair, a few other uh, short pointed questions. Um, a lot is happening at the moment in the public domain around uh, the sabotage of essential infrastructure, uh, specifically copper theft, but of course it's not limited to that. One also talks about uh, uh, public infrastructure, um, and so and the minister has announced that this will be a focus area for the for the year to come. For, so from the NPA side, whether they can bring us up to speed as to to what they have done and what what is the plan to to assist that project. Uh, the the NDPP has been fairly vocal and quite possibly rightfully so about the unfairness around the. The, the perceptions and the reporting uh, on the, the so-called referrals from the SIU, and we know that a memorandum seemingly has been entered into, bi-weekly meetings have, have, have seemingly been put in place. Uh, but despite all of that, the, the previous uh, report on this matter was that ultimately what we will need to work to is an amendment of the legislative framework. Um, regulating this this whole issue. Um, so, Chair, what I need to ask, and my apologies, it's not my phone ringing. Um, what I need to ask is, what progress, if any, have been uh, have uh, have have been achieved in respect of working with the legislative drafting unit to ultimately address that issue. Uh, similarly, Chair, the, the uh, intention to, in a prudent manner, making use of donations and also foreign donations, what is the, the progress, if any, around the development of that protocol? Um, then, and I'm getting to my three last points, Chair, the Honorable Breitenbach referred to the fact that internationally our legal framework around corruption and, and corruption-related matter seems to be solid, uh, but yet we, we had the minister announcing in his briefing to this committee that there has been identified a need to amend, update, and strengthen the architecture around the, our anti-corruption legislative framework. Uh, has the NPA been part of, of the process through which this um, this need has been identified, and if, if possible, specifically what what is the, the, the weaknesses they've identified? And if at all possible, uh, possibly an update as to their work with the department around the update around the whistleblower protection, specifically in respect of corruption cases. Then, Chair, in respect of cyber crimes, um, if we can get an update as to what the planning is around this, it's, it is in the news as well, along with our pub public infrastructure and the economic sabotage that we seem to be a country which is 
targeted more and more by cyber criminals and we now have the cyber crime legislation in place so if we can be updated as to what the plans is around um, strengthening the, the prosecution ability um, around that and then the two last questions I have is around the, the backlog project um, we are awaiting the, the finalization and the publication of the, this backlog project can the, the NPA inform us as to what progress, if any, has been made? And then to be more pointed in this regard, Chair, it, it, it goes without saying that any backlog project will need to include longer court hours. And quite possibly, if one learns from, from the past, the involvement of all role players in an after hour and even a, over weekends. So have that been considered? What is the financial implications and, and have that been factored into the, the, the current budget? Um, and then lastly, um, and, and I know this is my, my repeat engagement with the NPA and the NDPP, uh, once again, uh, around the, the, the targets in the APP, I must say that the, the targets do not ultimately assist us to get a proper view around the number of cases enrolled um, finalization rates as percentages are ultimately can, can take us only so far. And there remains a worry that, yes, partly due to COVID, but of course, part, uh, in addition to that, also because of policing issues and quite possibly uh, uh, lingering issues around capacity, be it human, human resource capacity or other capacity in the ranks of the NPA that, that the number of cases enrolled is not sufficient to ultimately address our crime problem. Um, so if I can get some, some comment around how the NPA will go about to ultimately also account on, on that specific issue in the absence of, of clear targets in the APP. Thank you, Jay. Thank you very much. Honorable Stephen Swart. Uh, thank you, Chair. I also need to turn off my camera with your permission, um, just for connection. But uh, may I also just first thank the NDPP and all the committed, hardworking staff members of the NPA who are working under very, very difficult conditions. And we are pleased that the budget has been improved uh, to a certain degree, and we trust that this will assist in successful prosecutions. And there have been some uh, wins, um, and we look forward to the next three to six months for very significant um, wins and, well, significant institutional prosecutions following from this honor commission. But the, the preserving of the assets of the Optimum Coal Mine and Regiment's Capital running to three, some three billion is a, is a good start. And we would like to see uh, more advances in that area. I'd like to just ask specifically on the asset forfeiture unit that previously underperformed and we see there is an improvement, but we don't see a significant increase in their budget and can we get an idea because obviously the asset forfeiture unit plays a very key role in as i've indicated in preserving assets i'd like to hear the improvement um, as i say in, in that regard now generally speaking and i and i thank you um, ndpp for your emphasis on the need to address crime in general corruption in general and 
allied to this was a very interesting article in the Business Day yesterday, which I would like to just highlight an aspect of it because it relates exactly to what you were saying about the need not only for the rule of law, but also for investment to address issues of poverty and exclusion in our nation. And this article states that it's called Open the Economy to All or We Can Kiss Goodbye to Our Democracy. And it's a very severe article and it highlights a certain number of issues which you have touched on. But it just says, for, for example, I quote, for those unable to compete in a modern economy or structurally locked out by joblessness, gangsterism is now the primary transmission belt to access resources through plainly illegal or violent means. And then it details certain issues which mm-hmm. we don't necessarily need to go into in detail, but it generally gives you the idea of to what degree our rule of law is under threat. And it says, think of one, taxi and trucker wars. Two, the construction mafia. Three, corrupt tenders. Four, criminal politicians. Five, the gold, coal, and diesel syndicates. Six, the copper mafia. Seven, illegal mining. Eight, the looting of state-owned enterprises. Nine, crooked policemen. Ten, the stripping of rail infrastructure, kickbacks, buying of votes in party contests, political killings, and it goes on and highlighting uh, the July insurrection, empowerment, gorging, degrading infrastructure, rotting hospitals, and failing municipalities. And I'm sure you agree that this presents a very, very poor picture of South Africa, particularly in the business day, which is an investment um, daily newspaper. So the question is, and I, I would appreciate it. it. Almost seems overwhelming when you look at all these issues. How does one try targeting these different issues, understanding the need to deal with the Zonda Commission, understanding the need to deal with corruption? But there seems to be, at every level, degrees of illegal illegality with limited police resources, limited um, investigations. How would you? How would you respond to something like this? Because the conclusion is this gangsterism is the fundamental reckoning for and a central and very real present threat to our whole democracy. So having said that, I appreciate the work that you are doing, but it's an enormous task that is facing the NDPP and the NPA in general, given the budgetary constraints. What I'd then like to ask you, is about the Zona Commission, is about the, the, the highlight that you, you have given an indication the next six months will be seminal. And what we have said in Parliament, um, right from Minister Pravin Godan, myself, I repeated this last week. Firstly, we must ensure that orange overalls are ensured to all those implicated. In other words, they will be locked away. And I understand that takes time. But secondly, the bringing back of the billions and your estimate of 1.5 trillion. Now, in that regard, you, 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 you refer to cooperation internationally. And I'm sure you will have sight of the financial flow of funds investigation, which is part of the Zondo Commission, which, which details how all this money was tracked. 
And there can be very easy cooperation internationally where you could get ex parte orders in mm. uh, foreign courts in New York, particularly given that most of these transactions were done in US dollars, which gives certain courts, the US courts jurisdiction as well. So I appreciate these are complex matters. They do take time. So I really understand that. But I would look forward to some more steps, even if one was to make use of tax avoidance schemes. Tax laws are very easy. And when thinks of the Al Capone, who couldn't be caught on organized crime, but was caught on tax laws. That having been said, I'll then ask you to just update us a bit going forward on the progress with extradition and mutual assistance agreements, particularly with the United Arab Emirates, particularly relating to the Guptas. We understand this has been an ongoing issue for years and years, but we would like to know what progress is being made. And clearly, my questions, if you are unable to respond to it due to strategic reasons, um, just advise us in that regard. The next two brief issues have been touched on by my colleagues, and that is the issues relating to witness protection, uh, which we notice that uh, we note that there is an increased budget for that. And of course, the review of whistleblower protection, such as the Protective Disclosures Act. If there's a need for you to look at that and to bring something to Parliament urgently, I'm sure the committee will support that any urgent reviews to ensure we cannot have whistleblowers being um, assassinated as we saw in Gauteng, as we've been seeing. The next issue I'd like to touch on is the operation of the fusion center and how efficient it was when we had the PPE scandals. Um, now going forward, again, there's a lot of concern about the billions of rands that will be needed to rebuild KZN following the floods. And will the fusion center be operative to ensure, or as far as possible, that where any allegations, we've already seen allegations of misappropriation of funds, and we're talking about billions of rands that are going to have to be allocated. Will that be operative? And then linked to that, when we considering the KZN issues is the progress on prosecutions emanating from the rioting and looting that took place in July last year. Chairperson, I would also like the, to congratulate Advocate Johnson, the new um, head of the ID, and I'd like her, if uh, with the permission of the committee to comment on constraints that the ID faces if um, in, in, in doing its work going forward. Um, we, we welcome the fact that there is consideration for permanence, given the fact that the um, lifespan of the ID, I think it's reached the halfway span, um, but maybe just some comments from her perspective in that regard. Chair, that for me um, for the time being, should there be second round, I might ask further questions. Oh, last, sorry, Chair, just on the issue of the vacancies. The vacancies, um, according to uh, of, of critical posts, um, if we understand it's almost up to 20%, and yes, we understand that's an ongoing issue, 
but um, are, is the NDPP satisfied with the speed with which vacancies are being filled to, to deal with critical posts in particular? Thank you so much. Thank you very much. Uh, there will be no second round. I think we have given members enough time to ask as many questions as they like. Honorable Nico Drachens. Thank you, Chairperson, and good morning to everyone. <clears throat> I would just like to add to what the previous members have already said. Uh, thanks and welcome to the new head of um, the ID. Uh, that's the first thing. I wanted to, I don't want to repeat what members already asked, but I would like to know about the TCCs that will be increased to 62. Um, <clears throat> the, the increase to 62. I'd like to know if uh, the MP has MPA has decided where these new centers will be established. And then also related to that, I see the sexual offenses um, conviction rate has dropped uh, from 75 to 70. I just wanted to know why is, has it dropped? What is the reasoning behind it? And if it's possible for the MPA to keep the rate up or even increase it. At the beginning, of um, Ms. Batoy's presentation. At the beginning, you mentioned house break-in project. Uh, can you give us an update with regard to that? And then also the court backlog uh, program. I, I know some members already asked, but I would also like an update on the, and then the role of the MPA with regard to the, co uh, the court backlog uh to assist with the backlog in the courts and to catch up and also yeah it's very concerning with regards to the high vacancy rates uh, members have already covered that but i'd like to know the 700 aspirant prosecutors uh have have they already been recruited or is it still going to be are they still going to be recruited in 2223 have uh, or has have they already been um, recruited uh, and, and placed? <clears throat> and then I also want to know from the NPA how far their recruitment drive is um, on that to assist with the filling of vacancies. Um, then... Uh, there was one more, sorry, Chair, just uh, checking my papers. Oh, the impact of COVID on mm. the, all of the work of the MPA thus far. Um, is it, you know, the last presentation you gave, you spoke about COVID, but um, has there been any... Um, additional impact on the work of the NPA. Thank you, Chair.
Sorry, Chair, we're not hearing anything. I'm not sure if it's on my end. Oh, I also can't hear, Chair. I think the chair may be cut off. Um, morning, members. Um, can we maybe take a two minutes follow with the chair quickly? Might be experiencing load shading. We'll come back to the committee shortly. Um, members and NTPP, I've managed to get hold of the chair. He's experiencing load shading. We request that maybe we take a three to five minute break until he reconnects. Thank you. He's trying to reconnect with other devices.
there was an indication that was made that um, the 15-year lease ended in 2018. And when we were there in Jan, they were operating on a month-to-month basis. And they indicated some plans to, to go for an option of rent to buy. And I see on the report that says the lease has been extended to five years. What happened to these ideas to, to rent to buy? Hasn't there been a consultation with public works or they were not part of that discussions? Um, I, would, I would seek clarity on that because they uh, advocate, but they indicated some serious plans on those. I'm just quite disappointed that um, they make indication that they were not part um, or it seems as if they realize that now the lease has been extended outside their consent. Um, I would like clarity on that. And again, Chair, based on the, on the oversight, which this was stressed more by Honorable Swart and Honorable Horn, um, they emphasized a lot on this matter it, with regards to the Witness Protection Unit and including the, the, the whistleblowers, especially whistleblowers that would not want to, to testify. Have they managed to amend the legislation that speaks to whistleblowers uh, in this regard? Um, and also um, resolved on the witness protection unit being strengthened, um, including its location matter because this was equally cited in the oversight in January when we were at the offices. There is a matter on the optimum coal mine in Bumalanga, where the mining community has shut down, has shut down the mine. And it indicates, the mining community indicates or cites interferences from the NPA, especially on the sale matters, which would speak to the job creation in that area, which there are, their major concern on. Are these allegations true or tested? And what is the involvement of the NPA in this regard regarding the optimum coal mine? I would like to to get clarity um, on that, Chair. With regards to the consultation with the judiciary, with regards to the plan to establish special court roles and special courts to prosecute corruption cases, um, as stated by the president in the State of the Nation address. How far are these consultations with the judiciary? And are we ready as the NPA to start with prosecutions if these if this courts are being effected, Chair? I see a drop in the target of number of convictions for corruption cases or offenses related to corruption to 334, considering that 370 convictions were secured uh, by the previous year. What are the reasons for this drastic drop, Chair? Why are these targets being dropped from 370 to 334? And uh, the last part, which was made or was mainly indicated by Honorable Swart, I would also like an update um, with regards to the vacant posts, especially the critical ones. Um, I would like an update on the recruitment drive to fill this vacant post, especially given the agency to implement the Zondo Commission recommendations. 
um, as stated. Um, is there any plans to fill this vacant post, bearing that it's only 20% and so forth? Chair, the last part, it's, it's on the oversight we did um, now in March, which has left me a bit traumatized, um, especially with offices that NPA are using in courts, lower courts and, and, and so forth. There's a huge concern on how officials are located. Either they are clustered in one office, about five or six, um, outside one in Mosina, which was terrible and horrible, including the, the, the toy and the one. Do we have any plans to make sure that our officials and courts are, are well-placed or get better, not necessarily better officers, but they're in a conducive area that you are able to work on them? Um, that's one. And I'm saying this not, not being reliant mainly on courts to afford us offices. One, two, not also equally being reliant to public works because I've learned that public works can be, can be not necessarily trusted, but you can't put everything on their shoulders. You are bound to fail somewhere or the other. Are there any plans from the NPA to secure proper offices for their officials and courts? Um, whilst there might be in engagements with public works or courts for affordability or not necessarily affordability, but for office space, so that they're equally being placed well. Um, and this is mainly outside, they're reliant on public works and courts as, as NPA alone. Are there any plans on that? Thanks, Jim. Thank you very much. Uh, Honorable Engelberg. Uh, thank you, Chair. Um, I only have one question, so I'll be quick. Um, it is about the occupation-specific dispensation. I would like to know what is the current position with regard to um, occupation-specific dispensation and uh, what is being done to address the huge salary gap between the various ranks, as well as the obvious moral deficit that it causes. Thank you. Thank you very much, Honorable Engelberg, Honorable Yaku. Thank you very much, Chair. Um, I'm sorry, I have to put my video um, off. Um, I think I just have one, what, it's a comment and, and a question. Um, because it, it, I'm just worried that the, the National Prosecuting Authority um, has such a, a high mandate to deliver cases in a way that um, speaks volumes to, um, I think Honorable Swat spoke to the issue of high-level crimes, white-collar crimes, um, you know, to show an example that, you know, we can do the job that it, uh, we are supposed to do um, as, an, uh, as a prosecuting agency in the country. Um, but what translates is that some cases are being dragged for years without any resolutions to them, especially crimes, um, white collar crimes, especially 
um, financial crimes, especially crimes that affect a certain group of people in this country who seem to have power and money. And I want to know from uh, Advocate Pato, uh, what do, does the NPA sit with each other on how, how, how often do they sit with themselves and, and discuss what are high priority um, uh, um, cases that are at the forefront of South African minds that they can prosecute and how far they go with those with those with those um with those cases because it seems as if uh, as politicians will lament on certain cases over and over again uh, because there doesn't seem to be a solution around them and those cases are most always uh, particularly targeted to a certain group of people with power a certain skin color and a certain uh, amount of wealth and that is the issue that we have as South Africans is that what is the NPA doing? It seems like it's doing nothing. There are, I know there's a lot of work being done behind closed doors. However, um, what, what, is the, what is their strategy to turn around the cases that are at the backlog right now at the forefront of South African minds that they need resolutions to? Um, I won't name cases right now. Um, I just want to know how often do they sit with each other and discuss what cases are at the forefront that they need to cover uh, and to create an example that we cannot be having a state where it is easily captured um, in this country. Thank you, Chair. Thank you very much, uh, Honorable Yako. Now I've got um, uh, some few questions also to ask to the NPA before uh, you respond. Um, there is, uh, a turnaround strategy that we were promised uh, from the AFU, um, we would like to get the timelines uh, um, of that turnaround strategy, uh, whether it is completed, if not, by when it will be completed. And secondly, uh, Advocate Bado, you have said to us the next six months is going to be in fact, we are going to see a lot of some cases being registered or enrolled. Um, I think it will be important for all of us to calculate the six months having the same understanding as to when does it start. So when is this six months starting or, or has it started uh, if you are calculating it as NPA? So I think you should give us uh, an indication as to um, it starts when and it ends when, so that we can be able to to monitor it. And then there was a question asked by Honorable Breitenbach arising from FATF. Um, I will just ask it from a different angle. Uh, FATF places uh, says that FAFU, Asset for Future Unit, places emphasis on its civil for future powers under POC, but less is placed on criminal confiscation of property of equivalent value. If you can have your comment and, and to say, if the statement is correct, what are you going to do or what are you doing to ensure that also criminal confiscation uh, uh, um, are focused upon in the same way as we are focusing on civil forfeiture? And there is, from the Zondo report, 
it says there's only one prostitution which was brought under the PECA Act. Are there problems with legislations? Uh, if there are problems with the legislation, are there any plan amendments uh, that you would like us to look at before our term comes to an office? If there are no problems with the legislation, why after so many years, after the, after the PRICA Act was passed, are we only having one prosecution under the Act? And then uh, I think uh, Honorable Ramulu Beng uh, has covered me on the issue of conviction rate of complex commercial crimes. No, it is on conviction rate on uh, offenses related to corruption that drop. Um, also the conviction rate in relation to complex commercial crime in 2021-2022, you registered 93%. But you are saying for 2022, 2023, it will be 90%. Can you explain the 3% drop in terms of your targets for this 2022 to 2023? And then also, um, I am concerned that in some instances, you have static targets. For instance, value of completed forfeiture cases. Um, you 2021-2022 is 550 million. 2022-2023 is 550 million. So you seem to be a static uh, 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 kind of a, a target. Um, and that is inconsistent with what you have said in TPP uh, that you would want to put a dent and to ensure that money is recovered. So if we are targeting, for instance, the issue of the value of freezing orders obtained for corruption uh, or, or, or related offenses, 2021-22 is 2.4 billion, 2022-2023 is 2.4 billion. But we are saying that uh, the estimated value looted uh, through corruption is nearly 1.5 trillion. So these 2.4 and 550 million are just not doing any dent uh, into what has, has been looted out of our country. And still on conviction rate on sexual offenses, you have a static target, 2021 to 70%, 2022-23, 70%, 2024-70%. That can't be, that, that, that can't be a pleasing a, a picture to, we would like, to, to your APPs to respond to the challenges that are facing our country. They can't be static. And I think it would be important that next time, even when you report um, in October, the, the issue raised by Honorable Swart, I think is a correct one. These percentages, I think beneath or below them, you should uh, say in bracket, this is the number so that we can know that the, uh, uh, for 70% of 200 and 70% of 20,000, it's not the same. So it's important for us to, to, know, the, uh, to know the number. Um, also, I think it's honorable Swart, uh, I think it would be important that to know the reasons why the AFU, despite the fact that uh, it is tasked with such complex issues that it has received the least 
budget increase, which is eight percent, compared to to other to other divisions within uh, within NPA. Uh, over to you. But maybe because there were many questions that were asked, maybe what we can do now is to take a 10 minutes break so that you can be able to, to have a caucus amongst yourself as to who's going to answer what. And then we come back at 22. Uh, but before we, we, we take the comfort break, uh, can we have uh, Advocate uh, Johnson uh, beaming uh, her picture so that we can see her? Um, Honourable Chair, members, Advocate Johnson will will certainly uh, give a, a few minutes um, at, towards the end, just just before we close. So she will introduce herself, and you will certainly see her, and she will also say a few lines. If that's okay, okay. Chair, is that in order? Well, that's and if fine. we take the company, she will definitely that's address the. Let, Thank let, you, Chair. Let's come back at twenty two eleven. Thank you, Chair. Thank you.
budgetary and other resourcing issues. Andrew? Thank you very much. Um, so there were a number of questions, uh, Chair. I'm going to try and group them as much as possible with, with, with regards to capacitation, the skills audit, mm -hmm. and uh, I think the, maybe where I'll start, and it does link to Honorable Breitenbach's point around perceptions and our uh, frustration, perhaps, that of course we need to do better, but that sometimes perceptions are driven by incorrect facts. Uh, I know the research that was referred to on um, the challenges of the NPA that we have you know, masses of people leaving the organization and that we struggle to retain. Now, Chair, just to be clear, that, that's just not factually accurate. The attrition rate in the NPA is about 2% per annum, which is uh, significantly lower than that in government, which is about 10%. Um, and in fact, we, we certainly don't struggle to, to get applications uh, or to retain staff. The only time we actually lose more than 2% of staff is where they um, very healthily go to the magistrate's uh, profession as part of their career growth. So just to be clear on that, the NPA is not uh, facing a bloodbath of resignations, as uh, some would make out. Um, but of course, we're very aware of the fact that we're an organization that's come through a very difficult time. Like many other government institutions, state capture had a, a devastating impact on the organization, which is why their national director focused her first three years on the theme of rebuilding and why we're now pivoting, if you like, from being focusing on rebuilding to being becoming fit for purpose. And part of that is linked to the question I was asked about staff morale. It's a vitally important issue to deal with, particularly in an environment like this, where the organization is constantly under attack uh, in the media and in the public space. And of course, our prosecutors deal with incredibly difficult jobs. So we have a that culture enhancement initiative that we spoke about. We have a number of initiatives going, a lot, going on to build staff morale. Um, and, and it's really starting to pay off. And it speaks to the attrition rate that we spoke about earlier. The key question that's asked, and it's about capacity, and I'll deal with specialized capacity in a moment, but just maybe some general remarks around capacity and our efforts to capacitate. It's also not true that the NPA has this massive vacancy rate. Um, the actual percentage of our vacancy rate of prosecutors, which is really where our core staff are, is around 16% at the moment. And part of that is, is, an, is because of the fact that we've created over 600 new posts um, in the last uh, two years. When we speak about our recruitment, you must recall that before 2019, the NPA didn't have money to recruit additional staff. When uh, we were, were given that additional funding, we have since then recruited 1,700 new staff members. Uh, of those, um, about 900 were external and the rest were internal in line with the NDPP's commitment to bring in uh, new, new capacity and new talent. So those 1,700 staff members are already in the organization. That excludes the aspirant prosecutors. And we've spoken about the 700 aspirant prosecutors that are the, the new injection of capacity, the new era of prosecutors uh, that have come into the organization. So at the level of, uh, of actual numbers, um, I think that's quite important to note. What, what it's also done, our additional posts that we have created has pushed up that um, vacancy rate. So if we hadn't created the additional posts, the 600 posts I spoke to, that vacancy rate would be significantly lower. And also what we're doing now in the context of our prioritization on corruption, we are looking at reallocating some of the posts that will also drop that figure. So in summary, Chair, we do not have a crisis of resignations and we do not have a crisis of filling mm. out posts. What we do have a challenge with is this question of specialized capacity in light of 
the absolutely overwhelming complexity and not only in terms of substance, but in terms of actual scale of cases that we've seen coming out of Zondo and uh, other high-level corruption or organized crime matters. So in that context, we do need to seriously upskill our prosecutors. And we have an initiative in place, which I won't go into details now, but we have a number of training initiatives through Justice College, yes, but also through other partnerships that we've developed with local institutions, universities, and even international institutions, where we are focusing on training our prosecutors on the most cutting-edge aspects of dealing with these crimes, including international cooperation, including money laundering, all the various dimensions of it. But we're also realistic, Chair, that we're not going to upskill the prosecutors that, that we have to, these, to the level that we need to overnight. So while we are focusing on trying to upskill them and obviously drawing on the resources that we have, and we have a lot of very experienced prosecutors in MPA, we also are going to have to engage with um, outside counsel, which is why we've spoken about the use, the strategic use of Section 38 uh, briefs. And, um, and so that's a, that's a, that's a key component uh, to this. Um, the other question that was asked was the impact of COVID. And the impact of COVID on the organization was devastating. I know everyone blames COVID for all their lack of performance, and we're not going to go there today. But as a prosecution authority that deals with frontline uh, type of work that we do that deals with people in courts, the impact was devastating. We had uh, 68 prosecutors uh, that we lost because of COVID. We had a thousand, over 1,080 prosecutors infected, and it literally shut down uh, many of our courts. And remember, we operate in a, in a value chain where you have interpreters, court orderlies, um, judicial officers, and the impact, of course, was devastating. But we have had to deal with it, and we are all back at work. We have a, a, a COVID policy in place. We have been quite innovative in terms of how we dealt with remote working. And I think we, we can proudly say that we kept business continuity going uh, during the COVID period. I'm going to move uh, briefly on to the issue that was raised um, also around cyber. I know at, uh, on all Breitenbach races, this is something which... Uh, we are still behind. Um, Advocate de Kock can speak about it in terms of the prosecution, but it's certainly an area where we are going to have to increase our training. And this will be an area where we'll have to partner with the private sector, not only in terms of the capacitation and training, but also in terms of how we actually engage with external partners in terms of bringing in the capacity we need to deal with the fiber, cyber forensics uh, skill deficit that we have. But you will see today there is a press statement that's gone out in terms of our collaboration with the Zondo Commission, particularly in the context of onboarding the cyber capacity that they had. The NDPP referred to it, and that's going to be ramping up significantly in the coming weeks as they uh, transition out of, uh, out, of, out, of, out of their work. Um, the other question was asked about the skills assessment. We have completed the first round of it. We're doing a, a more... Um, a deeper dive into the skills assessment, looking at international benchmarking around what are the skills that are needed internationally and regionally to prosecute these high-level complex corruption cases. That's almost complete, and that is going to inform our capacitation and training initiative, but it will also inform um, our prioritization in terms of how we utilize internal skills. We can share that skills assessment with uh, the committee as soon as it's completed, but we have moved ahead in line with our prioritization to not just do a general skills assessment, but do a, a, an assessment particularly around high-level priority matters. Um, the other question that was asked here, I'm just going to jump to the Office of Ethics and Accountability. It's a very important question. We have briefed this committee on it a number of times. I think the minister referred to it last week. 
Um, this is an important initiative to ensure that we deliver on our IPAC values, um, particularly around our credibility. And we have set up the terms of reference. We've been partnering with the Department of Justice and National Treasury. Um, and uh, the, 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 the committee's actually met twice. And we've got clear guidance now from the National Treasury in terms of how to engage with donations, either from foreign governments or from the private sector, so that it in no ways interferes on the independence or the uh, functioning of the NPA. And as you've heard in previous presentations, all money that comes in to the NPA will go through National Treasury, through the RDP fund, and will be managed uh, through that process. And any in-kind contribution, and we're very aware of the perceptions and the actual risks in terms of in impacting on our independence, will be managed uh, through National Treasury prescripts closely with National Treasury and with the support of the, uh, the Donor Oversight Committee. Sorry, I mentioned um, uh, another initiative. So the Donor Oversight Committee is, is the link to the external funding. The other thing that was raised, uh, Chair, was the Office of Ethics and Accountability. Uh, which is more of an internal oversight mechanism. And the NDPP referred to the fact that the regulations are currently with the minister. We're looking at the costing of that. And we've, got, we've gone through all the internal processes, including with labor, et cetera. So we are um, very well established, uh, very well uh, advanced in terms of the establishment of the Office of Ethics and Accountability, um, which we're hoping to get up and running as soon as those regulations have been signed by the minister. Um, Chair, I'm going to come to the, uh, the issue of witness protection briefly. Uh, we stressed it a lot in terms of our priorities moving forward. And uh, there is still the ongoing discussion about the location, whether it will be within the NPA. That is a discussion we're having with the DG of Justice, and that decision has not been taken. But in the interim, we're making sure that the witness protection program is capacitated and is effectively run. Uh, the NPA uh, is very proud of the way the witness protection agent, uh, unit has continued to have um, no witnesses uh, killed or intimidated on the program. But we're also very aware of the, the need to expand our engagement with the broader discussion around whistleblower protection and advocate. The COP will speak about our engagement there, but it's certainly not something that we're leaving. And uh, we, you know, it's not enough to say that uh, we only focus uh, on witnesses and not whistleblowers. Um, I want to come to the... We'll deal with the, uh, the APP in a moment. Um, the, the question of the uh, occupational specific dispensation, that was a very important question that was asked by the Honourable Member and what's been done about it because we've briefed this committee on it before. The impact that... that this is happening on the prosecutions and chief prosecutors in terms of the I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry Chair, to interrupt, but I lost him there for a bit and this is important. Could you just repeat that, please? Okay, I can, I can come back, Chair. So the, the, this vital issue of the salaries of the deputy directors of public prosecutions and the chief prosecutors, you know the history, I won't go into it, but it's a long-standing issue that involved uh, litigation and various, uh, various judgments of our, of our, even of our appeal court. And we've moved ahead with that, recognizing that this is a fundamental component. These are fundamental staff in the organization, and they, their morale is being impacted by this. At the moment, there's, uh, we've made a... Uh, a clear recommendation to the memo before um, we set up a... Um, we're hoping... Uh, yes. 
there seems to yes, be yes. A, yes there seem to there seems to be a problem with the bandwidth so Maybe can we'll, you we'll switch yes i think if you can switch off because that, uh, you, yeah that's best can you repeat is that, the is last, that a, can you repeat is the that last better time? yes that's better okay Okay, sorry about that. So yeah, we are moving ahead with the uh, with an option around the the salary dispensation, and currently the minister, as I said, uh, is sitting with a recommendation that we've made. Uh, we're engaging closely with the effective colleagues. We've set up a, an internal team that's working with them, and we're hoping uh, to get the minister's uh, approval any day now. And then this issue will be dealt with uh, once and for all. And um, uh, and and we're very we're very aware of the fact that. The in terms of the internal process um, around Advocate Malele. Um, I know there was a lot of reporting about some sort of secret deal or handshake. Uh, that is not accurate. Um, this was an internal process which was handled by an external counsel. And in fact, the way in which it was handled ended up um, being the most effective for all parties involved. Uh, there was uh, no payout or anything like that uh, agreed to. Um, and it was a, a very well-documented internal disciplinary process. And um, we'd be happy to provide more information if required to Honorable Breitenbach on that in writing. But we, uh, you know, it's not that we don't want to discuss these matters in Parliament, but they are internal disciplinary matters. So um, it is difficult to go into more details uh, in a public hearing like this. With that, Chair, I'm going to hand back to uh, the National Director. Thank you, Chair. Um, Advocate Rabaji. Arastava will deal with questions relating to AFU. Um, uh, just before I forget, Arastava, uh, uh, with respect to and the report to the committee, to the committee as a whole, and the reports with respect to the disciplinary hearing, can it be furnished to the committee as a whole? And committee not. Yes, can, can, can we get it before the 15th of June? Yes, Chair. We will send you something. Thank you very much. Uh, thank you very much, Chairperson, uh, for the questions and um, thank you for the opportunity. I will start with the question from uh, Honorable Member Linus Breitenbach. She asked the question How do you measure? Um, taking profit, how, how do you measure taking profit out of crime? So it's a two, it's a two prompt question. She's basically saying, how do you measure success for your indicator? So let me start with that one. So you look at the value of the fence, the value of the assets seized and forfeited. So if the AFU seizes the full value of the proceeds, then in terms of the APP targets, we are successful in recovering the proceeds, right? So if I have to give an example, I'll refer you to, to the case of um, the asbestos case in the free state where we have got a confirmed restraint order of 255 million, which is the total amount that was uh, paid uh, for work not done. So in terms of the APP targets, we'll say 100% success. Now, the bigger question is, how does good look like? So for this country, when we say we brought back 
the stolen assets, the stolen money from our fiscals, and we're taking profit out of crime. What would good look like? For us, good would look, for, for us, it will speak to one of the outcomes of the, 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 the NPA, which is increasing investor confidence in South Africa. Right. So um, I was listening to the radio this morning and South Africa is number 75 out of 84 countries. So I really take that seriously, just in terms of attracting investment. So good would look like when we've taken so much money of the trillion that the NDPP uh, has referred to. We've taken it back and it's back with the fiscal. Then that will say we are successful in measuring the fact that we're taking profit out of crime, which is beyond the APP measures. Now, um, and, and I'll, I'm, I'll try and, and lump uh, together the questions. Uh, there was a question around um, the vacancy rate in a year. So, so you'll recall that as far as the AFU financial investigators were concerned, we last employed or filled vacancies in 2009 when the Scorpions were disbanded. So we had to um, you know, catch up and fill those positions. So since 2009, positions were not filled. We've got 75 posts, but we had to fill up. But we also had to create more positions in, in enforcement. So we created 63 positions in total so over and above, moving from almost um, 122 employees when I joined, we are today sitting at 217. That includes uh, 15 contractors. So we filled, we created, we've, and we are growing in the process. So there was an issue around the low budget of the AFU. Um, as the NDPP outlined, we are busy finalizing what is called an NPA asset recovery strategy, which we're also going to sub- submit to our minister. Now, with that, more and more posts will be created in the sense that we seek to almost dial up and really leapfrog and no longer do asset forfeiture unit the way we've done it. The, the last 20 years. I think we've done extremely well in creating sound jurisprudence from more than the 700 cases that we have done. So now is to bring back those billions that has been stolen from our fiscus. So our strategy is simple and briefly, we want those billions that have left our shores. And um, there was reference to how the Zondo report outlines how the flow of funds have left our country. And I mean, if you look at the 57 billion that was reached from Transnet, you'll see that it left South Africa, went to three countries. In those three countries, then it was transferred to 200 um, accounts. That's why we need a strategy then to work with law enforcement overseas. But over and above law enforcement overseas, we need to work with foreign uh, 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 foreign uh, in, um, forensic investigative companies, as well as um, law firms, who know the laws of those countries, so that we can speed speedily deal with um, bringing back the stolen money. Now, there was a question of of the FATA findings. Moving along, regarding AFU, only focusing on Chapter Six, um, the AFU. Um, focuses on chapter six 
as a strategy to ensure that there's no dissipation of assets. So when the FATF assessment was done, um, the assessors looked at two uh, cases, which was the McKinsey one billion recovery that went back to to ESCOM and a, a mine rehab case. So when we give the annual report, the good news is we have done extremely well in AFU to move beyond looking only at chapter six. As I've said, is to make sure that there's no dissipation of assets. We need to quickly go in with a civil standard to make sure that the assets are frozen and secured. Now, for state capture, we have to date since 5.9 billion assets. And um, obviously, a lot of them, as you've said, Chairperson, we went uh, first uh, using Chapter 6. But the, I can tell you, and I'm proud to announce that of that 5.9 billion, we've got the Albert Time matter, which is already in court, 2.2. 2.3 million. We've got the ESCOM Shakudi matter, which is already in court, which is 1.4 billion. Uh, we've got the Nulani matter, which is the 500 million unkept restraint order of, of, of the good assets. Um, and uh, of course, also the asbestos uh, matter. We already have got this uh, 255 million uh, confirmed restraint order. So we're really looking forward to the next part of assessment as AFP because we've done extremely well. Moving along uh, to the issue that was raised uh, regarding interference of the NPA in the OCMOCT mine case, um, NUM has entered the fray in the sense that they applied to court to be part of the proceedings to make sure that um, the employees of the mine don't lose their jobs. Um, so, so what is called um, a joint practice note, meaning we are on the same side to. Okay. Sorry, Jay, we didn't hear that. Yes, there's a problem with bandwidth. We can't hear an advocate or subventor. Is it is it the whole all the team chair or is it just yourself? Sorry to ask, but we're not we're trying to figure out is it on our side? It's on your um, side. None of us can hear. I'm really sorry about that. I'm not sure what we can do. Especially the the issue relating to the Bumalanga case. Uh, where there is uh, an attack on NPA, if you can repeat okay. that. Okay, thank you, Chair. Sorry, if you could just maybe in 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 the chat as well indicate where we are not able to hear us clearly. Uh, we'll repeat. Go ahead. Okay. Um. So so um, Chairperson, uh, the mining com community from uh, Steve Chwetem, um, they they came to our offices. I, I personally met with them and received the memorandum. I also met with NUM. I've also met with the employees. They all came to, to the NPA offices, right? And um, they gave us a memorandum outlining their concerns about job losses. Um, so subsequently what happened is NUM, filed to court to enter the fray. They are part of the proceedings. And when the matter was heard in court on the 10th of March, 
NPA and NUM lawyers filed what we called a joint practice note, which basically we are on the same side to make sure that there are no job losses. So I think it would be useful maybe if we can give a written response and maybe uh, it's, it's not a long document, show um, uh, submit the, the joint practice note that we filed to show that NUM representing certainly the workers, the employees, and NPA are trying to achieve the same objectives of making sure that the mine is not given to the Gupta allies for a rent, which is what we are fearing and what we are fighting, that the business rescue practitioners should not implement a business rescue plan that gives away the mine to the Gupta allies. So we want to make sure that this mine stays in South Africa after four, uh, in South Africa, after four feature, obviously we're going to sell it to the highest bidder to make sure that people can get their jobs back, uh, given that there are some people that are still employed and a lot of them have left their jobs. So I think we, we will then submit um, this document, which will outline the fact that we are on the same side with NUM, which entered the proceedings in court. Yes. Okay. Um, Okay, then Chairperson, you've raised the fact that AFU was supposed to submit what is, what is called a, a turnaround strategy or a turnaround plan. Uh, from our side, we, we wrote a 100 pages document and we kept on cutting it short, thinking it's, it's too long. But it was at the time when um, we're not achieving our targets, uh, the, the MTF targets and, and the E. NE targets for the five-year play. Now we have since, and, and, and it, it will become clear when we submit our um, annual report that we, we, we now have particularly far exceeded our um, freezing, freezing, uh, uh, the, 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 the freezing uh, and restraint orders, and that we, we have since uh, made significant improvement to achieving the rest of the targets. So um, we can submit, uh, when we submit the other documents, a turnaround strategy that, that will explain how we have managed to quickly turn around the situation. Um, but linked to that, we're also doing what we call an asset recovery strategy, as I've explained, is to dial up and bring back the billions that have left our country. And of course, even those that are still in the country. So, um, and, and that's another strategy, a dial-up strategy to really make sure that AFU is fit for purpose, it will be fully capacitated and to make sure that um, we make our contribution as a deterrent and make sure that um, crime does not pay in South Africa. I think, Chairperson, um, those are the questions... I've noted. Chaba, are you saying that you will be ready to submit by the 15th of June with the other documents? Yes, Chairperson, that's what I'm saying. Okay, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you, Chair. Um, Advocate Cock will now deal with questions, that, uh, some of the questions. Rodney. And colleagues, I see the chair is looking at his watch. If you can be mindful of time, colleagues on our side, and um, crisp and succinct in our responses. Please go ahead, Rodney. 
Thank you very much. Um, thank you very much, uh, Honourable Chair and Honourable Members of the Committee for the opportunity. Uh, firstly, I'd like to deal with the question of the treaty between the UAE and, and uh, South Africa. Uh, this treaty was uh, signed, ratified, um, and, the, and, the, and the ratification instruments have been exchanged between our respective governments um, during July 2021 already. So uh, currently then the treaties are operational. Uh, of course, the question will always be whether or not particular individuals are resident in, in a particular country uh, when we use those mechanisms. <clears throat> If I turn to the to the FATF-related uh, questions, as well as uh, the questions relating to the terror financing, um, the MPA has established a uh, money laundering uh, desk uh, within the organisation uh, that comprises all the business units of the of the MPA, including the asset forfeiture unit, our organised crime units our priority crimes litigation unit, um, all other supporting units, and then working very closely with the other law enforcement agencies of, uh, of the country. In this regard, the FIC and the National Treasury uh, takes the lead in terms of uh, coordinating the work that is being done on behalf of the country in terms of the implementation plan. Um, in relation to South Africa's mutual evaluation uh, report. As far as the MPA's role in this is concerned, firstly, through the PCLU, we work closely with the Counterterrorism Functional Committee at a national level that's been established uh, to look at the questions of how to deal with amendments to the POC Tadara uh, uh, legislation. Uh, that work is currently being led by our intelligence services, um, and I'm sure the legislation will be, be coming through to the committee in due course after it's been approved by the JCPS uh, leadership. Um, so we work very closely from an investigative point of view because we depend on our law enforcement investigations and particularly intelligence uh, for the support that needs to happen within the prosecution. There's also an interdepartmental counterterrorism working group um, that is chaired by DERCO, um, and the MPA participates in the work uh, that is happening in those committees. So these, these meetings happen on a very regular basis, uh, honorable members, and this work is taken very seriously by all concerned. And as we know, we have dedicated um, uh, prosecutors who have been trained in terms of, of this uh, legislation. So we have prosecutors located both at the head office of the MPA that is seized with coordination, and then we have trained prosecutors in our respective DPPs to deal with actual cases. And there are a few such cases that are currently being managed by our respective DPP officers. As far as the work uh, in relation to the ongoing, the other work in relation to FATF, the money laundering desk of the MPA um, are, are looking at a number of, of, of issues inter alia, our relationship with the DPCI, working very closely with them. We've, we've incorporated the work relevant to the SIU um, into, into this from a money laundering uh, perspective as well. We work with the Financial Intelligence Center from an investigation um, point of view and from an intelligence point of view um, in relation to serious predicate offenses um, as far as money laundering is concerned. 
Um, the MPA is also in this current financial year included in the prosecutor work plans going forward. All the obligations relating to the identification and the prosecution of money laundering cases. So this is an important development so that uh, the prosecutors uh, have to report in terms of any work that crosses the tables that's relevant uh, to our obligations internationally. Um, we provide guidance both from a prosecution and from an investigative point of view on third-party money laundering of offenses, professional enablers, standalone money laundering, money laundering networks, uh, in terms of trying to advance the work that needs to be done in this, in this space. Uh, we're also looking at capacitation. I think uh, Advocate Duplessis has touched on this, but in particular, in the SCCU, our organized crime, the AFU, PCLU, and the ID, um, the filling of our vacant posts, contract posts. Uh, we have done quite a lot to ensure that contract posts are, 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 are assigned, um, and also the creation of new posts um, in relation to particularly the question of financial investigations um, and to provide support to prosecutors in understanding the complex financial environment within which we, we have to operate. Um, as far as uh, working with the police is concerned, in terms of the joint training, this is also linked to our set of obligations. And a lot of work has been done in this regard. Uh, just to mention that this is ongoing, uh, that we uh, just in the last round of training, we have trained 929 prosecutors and investigators in a joint initiative with the police. This was done over two parts. Um, and uh, the second part of this training was in fact finalized within the last financial year at the end of March, uh, 2022. Um, I, will, I will come to the question on, on more detailed training with the SAPs at a later stage. Uh, but just to say that uh, as far as the, uh, the obligations that we have in terms of FATF, we are working across government now with all the relevant departments and we all are very alive to the fact uh, that of the work that needs to be completed by the end of October uh, when uh, the return of the, of the experts Looks like we cut off colleagues. You can proceed. Um, we've lost power. We lost power here at the, the BGM um, uh, chairperson. So if you see me in darkness, that's the reason. And now I can't read my, my pages, my notes. So you do not have a generator there. The generator normally kicks in, but today, for some reason, it hasn't kicked in. I don't know if it's a conspiracy that's happening here uh, at the BGM. Um, so if, if, as far as the obligations in our concern, uh, taken very seriously across uh, all our respective uh, law enforcement agencies, the Treasury um, has, has taken a very keen lead on this. And regular meetings are being convened through the Treasury, through the FIC and the head of the FIC. Uh, this is also being discussed uh, at the ACTT uh, leadership level. 
um, and is a standing item in terms of progress of this. So we are doing the best that we can in order to ensure that we address uh, the concerns that were raised in the evaluation report. Uh, as far as the uh, joint training uh, with the South African police services are concerned, yes, it is correct that uh, that we work on an ongoing with uh, with uh, uh, with our partner, the police. And in fact, our approach to our relationship with a critical stakeholder like the police is that we regard the police as a partner. So that is our approach. And um, throughout our, our divisions within the DPP offices on a daily basis, prosecutors and, and police um, investigators are working very closely together. So I think that is a point we must understand up front that despite all the training initiatives that we do, there's a daily interface between prosecutors and uh, police investigators in terms of supporting the police, helping with the investigation. In fact, sometimes prosecutors complain that they do too much. But the approach of the MPA has always been that it's in the interest of the victims. Um, and if we regard ourselves as people lawyers, the lawyers for the people, that we need to do everything in our power to support the police. We do that at great cost to time and effort, but it's something that we will continue to do and to assist our partners um, in the investigative space. Um, so uh, just on the question of the police academy, I've received confirmation from uh, the police that the academy is still fully functional. Um, and of course, the police is responsible for their own um, The police is responsible for their own uh, training initiatives. And my report is that that is, that is clearly still happening. Just recently, we've had a meeting between the prosecution and the top management of the police, where we will look at a number of further initiatives um, to support uh, the police in the work uh, that they do, and particularly in, in relation to the DNA initiative between ourselves and the police in order to fast track uh, those DNA reports that is so critical uh, to the work of the of the prosecution. Um, so linked to this is the Justice College training. There was a question also asked whether Justice College is still in existence. Uh, Justice College is really flourishing, and we are working closely with Justice College uh, because we see Justice College as a critical support. Uh, to prosecutors. So Justice College has, um, has a detailed uh, program for prosecutors. Uh, in the last financial year, 1,169 uh, prosecutors uh, went through the Justice College programs, and we're very grateful for the department the support from the Department of Justice, and in particular, the Justice College program. But just to highlight a few aspects of the training, our poker legislation, trial preparation, sexual offences, uh, confessions, admissions, pointing out bail, chain evidence, um, trial advocacy, cell phone evidence, DNA evidence, Child, child Justice Act uh, uh, legislation, child pornography, cyber fraud, um, cyber crimes, uh, cyber technology, um, uh, unconstitutionally obtained evidence, corruption. i just highlight a few of the topics that prosecutors are trained on in the Justice College environment. Gender-based violence, sentencing procedure, trio crimes, and organized crime. 
So those are the formal training programs. But of course, the MPA has a host of other training programs internally. Um, that is that is ongoing uh, legal education for our prosecutors that are formalized. And of course, we tra- take training very, very seriously as we try to forge um, prosecutors who are more upskilled to be able to do the work. Um, if I can move to the next question, um, Chairperson. There was a question regarding the number of matters um, that are enrolled and uh, the measure of outcomes in relation to the enrollment of cases. Uh, Just briefly, in the year 2020-2021, we had 137,956, so 138,000 cases with a verdict. And in the year 2021-22, we had 153,000 cases uh, with a verdict. So that indicates an 11% improvement uh, in the number of, of cases that, uh, that we have uh, finalized on our court rolls over the last financial year. So taking the impact of COVID into account, uh, we are satisfied that we're moving in the correct direction and that things are getting back to normal in our courts. And we're very grateful for that. But of course, there's been a huge disruption on our court rolls and our backlogs have increased. It is something that we address on a regular basis uh, by calling our directors of public prosecutions uh, into a monthly um, operational meeting. Uh, It's a two-day meeting where uh, the last meeting that was convened by myself, uh, we particularly focused on the backlogs in our courts and the interventions that are required to reduce the number of of backlogs on, on our court rolls. So taking that into account, the figures that I've received uh, from our colleagues for new cases in 2020-2021 in was 527,000, and in 2021-22, 556,000 new cases. Uh, it's a 5.5% increase um, between the two uh, financial uh, years. Uh, if I can just touch on the vacancy rate, I know my colleague. Uh, I to do... yes, How much sir? time do you need now? How much time do I need? How much more time do you need, uh, Rodney? We could wrap up fairly quickly because we still have. Uh, I'll yeah, I just Andrea with a few words, and then there's one or two other small things, and I'll wrap up. If you could f- wrap up in five minutes, is that possible, Rodney? Sure. Okay, let's try. Thank you. We'll probably have to send some of the responses in writing if we don't cover anything. Please go ahead. As far as the unrest uh, matters are concerned, uh, we have received, I'm just trying to respond as best I can to the number of questions that that have been presented to us, uh, Chairperson. Uh, It's very difficult to coordinate the responses um, to these questions. The, uh, 
number of unrest matters that are currently uh, being dealt with in the KZN province is 156. We've got 13 matters in Pinetown, uh, 17 matters in Peter Maritzburg, uh, 15 matters in Durban, and 11 matters in Mpangeni. Low cheating again. Proceed, Advocate Dukaku, can hear you. And um, and then there are a number of matters that are being dealt with um, in our organized crime uh, components uh, as well. So those matters are still receiving ongoing attention within the MPA. As far as the question relating to the role of the Fusion Center um, and, the, and the work that has to happen within KZN following the flooding, a decision has been taken at the leadership level of the uh, anti-corruption uh, task team uh, that that work will be incorporated. So where there's corruption or fraud or any other irregularity uh, that occurs in relation to the funding that has been provided for the victims or for the build, infrastructure building KZN, uh, that will be followed up similar to the model that we currently have in the Fusion Center and the work will be coordinated in the Fusion Center. As far as the sexual offenses uh, question is concerned, uh, the, uh, the, the conviction rate of the sexual offenses, the target is 70%, as, as you correctly indicated, uh, Chairperson. Um, we did not reduce uh, the conviction rate from 75 uh, to 70. Currently, what we are achieving is a, a between 74 to 75 percent conviction rate uh, in sexual offences. And I think your point about um, keeping it static is well taken. It's something that we often consider when we meet with our directors of public prosecutions. And that, and when we when we then have to, uh, uh, to to pitch a target, but it's a very delicate balance that we have to maintain because if you pitch a target too high, you may uh, you may incentivize if I can use that word, you may incentivize uh, colleagues uh, 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 to only bring matters that they think they will be successful with in court. So so you almost lift the bar. So uh, it is something that we've taken into account. And in the past, we've incrementally increased that conviction rate. The, the members of this committee will remember that the conviction rate at some point was in the low 60s. And that's how we've moved it up over the years. But it does become a ceiling. And I think we're doing very well. It's something we monitor very closely. And so just briefly then, and I think this is important, uh, just briefly on life imprisonments, in the current financial year, we received 201 life imprisonments um, in our courts. I think it's a, it's a commendable achievement um, in relation to this area of the work and the prosecutors who are, are working under very difficult uh, conditions. Uh, between 20 and 25 years, we received 106 sentences between 20 and 25 years. And between 10 and 19 years, we received 378 um, convictions uh, of, of accused persons in, in, in that. And of course, our conviction rate currently um, is about uh, 75%. But Chairperson, I think to end on that one, um, we will certainly take it uh, into account in the MPA and through, through our directors of public prosecutions, the need to incrementally 
then increase that conviction rate over the next two or three years. Thank you very much. Those are all I have. Thank you very much, NDPP. Thank you, yeah. Chair. Chair, we had the issue of the, the lease issue that was raised. Albert uh, Duplessis will quickly deal with that. Uh, so, sorry, Chair, we, we forgot these two questions. It's the, the lease issue and then the prosecutors, the condition of prosecutors or the accommodation for prosecutors. So the lease issue is a very important question because, of course, um, it speaks to, to our future plans and our ability to, to plan accommodation in BGM. Honourable Member's right. We are still in the process of looking towards a, a lease-to-own agreement. We have extended the VGM contract, as was mentioned, for five years. We're busy finalising the feasibility study on that, and we're hoping to get that feasibility study conducted soon, and we will update uh, the committee on that. But it certainly still is the plan, so that by the end of this contract, we are um, in a building that, uh, that we own, and we can then uh, make whatever renovations are needed. The question around the conditions of prosecutors' accommodation across the country is a very, very important one. And it's something that we um, we constantly grapple with. As you know, this is uh, not something that falls directly within our domain. It's very much uh, something that I know you were briefed on by the Department of Justice last week. And of course, um, it's also the Department of Public Works, uh, DPWI, uh, that is involved. But uh, we're very aware of this. We are working constantly with our colleagues in those two departments to deal with uh, the priority challenges. Um, it's not just accommodation of prosecutors, they have to share offices. There are dangerous working conditions where prosecutors have to park very far from the courts and are not able to uh, safely access those parking spots. Uh, there are a number of issues we're dealing with. We have a priority list that we're working through, but we also are finding ways to try and work around these challenges. I don't think it's enough to say that uh, uh, these, these issues fall without our con outside our control. So we are looking at ways um, in, in, you know, as much as possible to make the conditions better, not only for prosecutors, but of course for the victims uh, that need to engage with the prosecutors. I think Honorable Breitenbach also asked the question around how do we measure um, our sort of effectiveness of our support to witnesses and victims. And that's not just about witness protection, but it's also about the various victim support processes we have, the court preparation officer program that we have in place, these are all key things that we'll include in our annual report when we present it uh, to this committee later in the year. Um, but we've taken note of those questions. Just be aware these are our priorities for us, and we, we are definitely aware of, of the challenges, as I said, not only to our prosecutors, but also to the victims and the witnesses that have to engage with prosecutors in those conditions. And um, it's certainly nothing we can become complacent about, um, but we will include more detail on this in our annual report. Thank you, Chair. Thank you very much, uh, Anton. Um, see Andrea Johnson, Advocate Johnson, uh, Chair, I'm going to switch the, the um, video on so that you know that she does exist and it's not, we don't have an imposter here. Um, um, good day, Honorable Chair and Honorable Members. I am Advocate Andrea Johnson. I am the ID having been appointed and taken office on the 1st of March. 2022. And yes, a reassurance that I wasn't a ghost employee. I did take to heart when members asked that I uh, turn on the camera. I really appreciate the well wishes. Um, and then to save bandwidth, I'm going to now turn off the camera and with permission, Chair, I just would like to make one or two remarks, if I may. Um, having taken up... Sorry, Chair. Please thank, proceed. Thank you. Thank you. 
So having taken up office um, on the 1st of March, Chair, um, as the ID, I'd like to say the following. And when I say the ID, I do not talk of myself. I talk of myself and the ID staff. The ID realizes the value um, of public-private um, partnerships and collaborations. I did say this very early on um, in taking up office. We also uh, place a lot of value chair on enhanced stakeholder engagement. It is absolutely imperative to us being able to deal with the matters that we find in our domain. We are not going to be able to effectively deal with corruption, state capture matters, the Nugent Commission of Inquiry findings, as well as the PIC Commission of Inquiry findings, um, if I am unable to have enhanced stakeholder engagement. The ID staff have an appreciation chair for the agency of what must be done. It is important to understand that focused leadership and an appreciation for what the country expects means that the ID has to be focused and engaged. That is our primary goal and our purpose. We have undertaken chair seminal cases, and we are very aware that this must not only make an impact, but this will go a long way to kickstart our drive to restore faith and credibility in the NPA. Finally, there is a renewed energy, understanding and appreciation chair in the ID of what our mandate is, why delivery is non-negotiable, and why the country will hold us to these few words that I have now put out in the public domain and to this parliamentary committee as well. I thank you, Chair. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Andrea. Chair, um, just, uh, there's just a few matters that I want to wrap up on. Um, thank you very much, colleagues. Uh, Chair, there's uh, a couple of matters. We were asked a question on legislative amendments and whether our legal framework is solid. Uh, we do think that there is, we have a good legal framework, but we think it needs to be strengthened. Um, it is a decision that the JCPS had also taken to strengthen the legal framework to fight corruption and other economic crimes. If we could please send something in writing to update the committee on the legislative amendments. Um, we were also asked um, a question on um, the TCCs and where um, Advocate Cock committed to, he's just sent me the list here. Um, by March 2023, we hope to add five more to 65. Um, we hope that by March 2022, we have 60. March 2023, 65 in Dilohong, that's in Limpopo, Odi, Northwest, Brits, Northwest, uh, Kapane in Limpopo, and Victoria in, in Western Cape. Then by 2024, we hope to add a more Stellenbosch, Western Cape, Mitchell's Plain, Western Cape, Nguavuma in KZN, Puta Dichaba in Free State, and Umzumkulu in, in KZN. But as I said, this is conservative. We're hoping that we would, in fact, be able to open uh, more. And the, the, the places for 2025 are yet to be determined. Uh, Chair, the question was asked on... Um, I think I should alert the, 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 the committee to the fact that it's possible that our numbers of cases prosecuted in corruption matters could come down as we focus on the more complex, on the more high profile matters. So I think we must be careful that we don't get into the numbers chasing, which was the case in the past, and where all of the simpler matters were put onto the roll to ensure that we met these, these targets. But at the end of the day, the real cases were not being in inverted commas targeted. So we should bear in mind that that is a possibility, but we're certainly not working towards that. Um, 
just on the issue of um, uh, the tax and, and, and dealing with the so-called Al Capone strategy, of course, we are acutely aware of this and the benefits of this. And we've been engaging with uh, myself at the level with the commissioner of SARS. I know he's had a very good meeting with advocate Andrea Johnson, and we are working very closely. Our, our specialized tax prosecutors in the NPS are working very, very closely with the ID as well as with, with the SARS to ensure that we are able to deal more efficiently and effectively with tax-related contraventions uh, whilst we proceed um, with the more serious corruption cases, because almost all of them have a tax component. Uh, but we also have to make sure that we're able to split them and we don't create more challenges. But it is a good strategy that we're looking at very, very carefully. Um, the issue asked by Honorable Yako on, on cases being dragged on for years. Um, look, firstly, to say that her question was, you know, whether we, we meet to discuss high priority cases. I'm not sure. We lost Advocate de Kock for a little bit, but they are meeting um, almost weekly um, uh, to deal with high, pro high profile cases, to look at the priority cases. The task force has been set up, which includes the DPCR and the ID, AFU, NPS. They are sitting very regularly looking at what needs to do to capacitate our, our key cases we've identified, but also other priority matters. So there's a lot of work that's going into strategizing and getting the work done. But also I want to make it very clear that we do not target people on the basis of any skin color at all. If you look at the cases we prosecuted, people of all colors have been prosecuted and we will continue on that basis. We are driven by the evidence and the evidence alone. Um, Chair, on the issue of um, uh, police resources, I agree with Advocate um, Breitenbach and, and maybe other honorable members that have mentioned, we are joined by the HIP uh, in terms of police resources. And, and, and all other matters that fall outside of, of, of the ID, uh, we depend on very good investigations by the SAPs. So if there's no good training, if there's, there's no, the, the quality of investigations are bad, it will obviously affect prosecutions. And this is across the board. In all of these other crimes, including the unrest-related matters, we're working very closely with the police, but at the end of the day, we are not investigators. So there needs to be a very, very strong investment by government on capacitating the SAPs and, and, and yeah, you know, bringing stability. I'm glad we have a new national commissioner, but crime intelligence, when we deal with organized crime, we need to have really good intelligence. It drives all the projects. It drives our work with regard to copper theft, infrastructure, fuel theft, all of those organized crime cases. If you do not have solid, good intelligence driven projects, there's no way we can deal with the runners and we will be not making an impact. So we, we're really dependent on good intelligence, on good project-based investigations, and us then arresting and working with the SAPs to make sure that we get the key role players in organized crime arrested. At the moment, sadly, we're not doing terribly well. So we really need to improve that because people do think that South Africa is a haven for organized criminals. So we really need to look systemically, what is the problem and how do we make sure that as a system we can deal with this. And it might be something that there's a joint sitting of, of the SAPs and the Justice Portfolio Committees. I don't know. But I do think that, that you know, this, this is something that is seriously impacting our country in, in the most devastating way. And we need to get to grips with that. There were other questions about 
Um, you know, I think it was uh, Honorable Hong that talked about, you know, the sharpening of the focus, what's going to be different about this. Just to say that the, the, the new leadership is hugely important in the ID. The very fact that we have a task force working with the DPCI and strong collaboration and everybody in this with a problem solving uh, attitude, everyone in a spirit of collaboration, which is hugely important, clear focus, chair, we cannot do everything. And in the next six months, we have to have very, very clear direction and focus and prioritization. And Advocate Johnson is extremely good at that. Clear prioritization in line with that, clear resource plans. And we are working as a collective to make sure that the ID has this targeted resources for the very specific cases. And we certainly are going to make sure that there's impact um, in, in the coming. But I cannot overemphasize the importance of having clear strategy plans and making sure that we are very uh, targeted in terms of not trying to do everything at once. And this brings me to the question that Advocate um, Honorable Breitenbach talked about, you know, what plan do you have to do with the other gazillion number of cases? I can't remember what number she used. But what we're doing in the short term in the ID, and mainly I'm talking about corruption-related cases, what we decided in the ID is we need to have a very, very focused short-term strategy to deal with certain seminal cases immediately. And then we are working on the longer-term strategy of the ID in terms of what are we going to do to ensure that we're able to deal with the rest of all of those uh, corruption cases. So for now, we are focusing on these matters. That's our short-term strategy. And we are then going to work on a longer term strategy to deal with those all these those other matters, which are certainly on the horizon. But right now they are not at the forefront, but it's you know, we will have a good strategy and it, the permanence of the ID, the capacitation, all of those matters, the skills development, all of that talks to the longer term strategy to deal with all of these matters. Chair, and I think I just want to uh, wind up by saying um, advocate. Um, Breitenbach is absolutely, uh, she's right. I mean, at the end of the day, to deal with perceptions, you've got to produce the results. Mm. And, and that we are acutely aware of. The sad reality is that people forget results very quickly. I know we're not where we are, but there's been some good cases. And, you know, the people do get excited about it and say, oh, the NPA is back on track. It's doing good work. And we are. But then they very quickly forget. So we need to drip feed these cases to make sure there's ongoing results but Chair, I just want to wrap up by saying that we've, we are not where we want to be, but we're far from where we, we started. We are on the right track. We have a good new leadership. We have commitment, dedicated and, and incorruptible leaders in the NPA. And I, have, I feel more confident than I've ever been in terms of us delivering on our APP. Thank you, Chair. Thank you very much, uh, NDPP and to your team. Would you also... Um, update us on writing as to whether do you have any challenges with the implementation of the Cracker Act and why have you only prosecuted one person under Cracker Act? And if there are issues that we need to look at, would you respond in writing? And also, can you also respond in writing on the issue of the Bobrov matter? Uh, the Bobrov matter. Um, I'm not sure whether you did uh, uh, respond or, or one of your members responded to the issue relating to your targets 
relating to the value of completed forfeiture cases, you have a constant 550 million, which uh, for 2021, 2022 is 550, is that inconsistent with what you have been saying, especially with regard to freezing of assets. Even there, you've got 2.4 billion, which is consistent between 2022, 2223, 2.4 billion. I, I, I think if we can, uh, if you can quickly respond to those and then we close. I'm just going to ask Advocate uh, Rabaji Rastava to please come and deal with that. I hope you got the question clearly. Maybe you can come through and just make sure. Who's coming through? Thank you, Chair. Advocate Bissessua will deal will deal with these matters. Um, thank you, NDPP. Thank you, Chair. Um, Chair, if I understand the question correctly, it revolves around the value of uh, forfeiture orders mm -hmm. being stagnant over a number of years. Yeah. To answer the question, Chair, and the understanding is the ENE targets, or if I may refer to it as the NTSF targets, for value of freezing orders in corruption cases and value of recoveries in corruption cases was set up for a period of five years, coming to an end in 2024. At the time when those targets were set, which is the 2.5 billion um, and 1.2 billion yearly accumulative for five years, at that stage, we, um, we started with the investigations into state capture. We were starting to develop um, systems, processes, and um, collaboration to investigate those cases. And during the initial periods, significant impact was made in respect of uh, certain matters as Advocate Rabaji has mentioned, the mining rehab case and McKinsey. But going forward, and the AFU has focused on those corruption matters to achieve those um, two targets. When it came to the value of um, forfeiture orders, that indicator then referred to all other matters, inclusive of corruption, but other matters that the AFU dealt with. Going forward, Chair, we take note of the concerns raised. We also recognize that significant collaboration and cooperation has been um, implemented where matters are being fast-tracked and more especially high-value corruption matters. And coupled with the AFU um, recovery strategy, co-location with the DPCI and various structures within the NPA to prioritize this matter, having all of these processes in place, we will then, when we set the next five-year targets and going forward um, with our uh, targets, we will consider increasing same given um, the number of cases coming through to deal with it. So the point is noted, Chair, and we are in agreement. We need to look at these targets to actually match um, the cases that are currently being dealt with. Um, thank you, Chair, NDPP. Um, thank you, Chair. I, I hope that covered your question, Chair. Um, um, if not, um, if you could clarify, um, you know, we would happy to respond in a writing um, 
No, she has responded. My only challenge is that we keep yeah, I on can't saying. Like to yes, my challenge is that what we say in the public space and what we do uh, in terms of recoveries, I think uh, we need to look at that. Because when you keep on saying to people, I'm saying to us, to, to all of us, we keep on saying to people uh, that 1.5 trillion was looted. Now, people are expecting that uh, the law enforcement agencies will make good to what has been looted. Now, if you say 1.5 trillion was looted and you keep on having targets of 2.4 billion, and there's no way you will be, you'll ever make a dent. Chair, thank you. If I may respond to that very quickly, I get your question very clearly. Chair, it's, it's, it's absolutely a very, very valid question. In fact, Advocate Rabaji will recall when we sat down at the AFU strategy and I was there with her, I said, you know, if we look at what the assessments are, and that's not my assessment, Chair, I'm not the expert. I'm, what, I'm reading what others have said. It's, it's about a third of our GDP has been the assessment. So let's just take it at, at, a, at a, you know, it's, it's a... a you know, a significant, insane amount of money. So if we have targets like this, it doesn't really talk to recovering all of that money. So Chair, let me say that these targets were set as part of a five-year strategy. And they were set for the five-year period. And remember, they were set in 2019. 20, when taking office, there was, there were, the asset forfeiture capacity was very depleted. The state capture team that had been set up had not been de delivering and we know what was going on. So perhaps the target was overly conservative at that stage. It's a five-year target. And therefore, we've just split that up and put it into the three years. But with the very bold and innovative strategy that Advocate Rabaji is talking about, which we are, we are, we recognize that we, we must deliver a lot more. And maybe what we, what we want to do is look at, in fact, I don't know if it's possible, but to revise our, our, our targets, it, it, it might be a bit late now, but it's highly dependent, Chair, on, on collaboration, with, with, on mutual legal assistance, on collaboration with international uh, law enforcement, government and non-government entities, on the non-trial resolution policies, on, on the big value state capture case coming, coming forward. And so it's high, but what we've got is we've certainly got a new strategy to deal with that, and hopefully we'll be able to, to address that in way. But I certainly agree with, with the point that you made, Chair. Thank you. The last quick one, your calculation of the six months starts when or started when? On the 1st of April, Chair. 1st of April, okay. 1st of November, it ends. End of September, Chair. April, 30th, 30th of September. 1st of November, if you give us extra day, we'll be very happy. Oh, 1st of September. 30th, okay. of, no, 30th, of, of, September. 30th of September, Chair. <laughs> so we agree 30th of September, your six months ends. Six months ends on the 30th of September. Okay. Advocate de Kock and Advocate Johnson are, are here and they're listening, Chair. Yeah, 30th, 30th of September. Yes. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, uh, NTPP, and to your team for the fruitful engagements.
as usual, thank you very much. Um, I think for also, I think on behalf of the committee, I would like to welcome Advocate Johnson, who has joined us. Uh, the director for the IT, welcome to this hot seat. Uh, 30th of September also, I think applies to her. Um, so after the 30th of September, then uh, when you come for the for the BRRR reports, we expect to hear something different. Thank you very much. Thank you, Chair. If I may say once again, thank you to the committee, honorable members. Uh, we appreciate your guidance. Um, we, we appreciate your, your critical um, probing questions. We're here to account, and we certainly hope that we will be able to, to deliver and not disappoint. Thank you, Chair. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. And can we now invite the PPSA? Thank you, Chair. We will be leaving the meeting. Thank you very much. Good morning. Good morning, Chairperson, um, honorable members. Uh, good morning, and our apologies, uh, Public Protector. You know, we were trying uh, to finish at at least half past 11. Um, but uh, members, uh, we had a lot of questions and the responses took long because we had a lot of questions. Uh, thank you, uh, apologies for keeping you waiting. Uh, uh, Public Protector, I think you would have received um, a, a correspondence from us to that says that uh, we would like to to give you 30 minutes uh, for the presentations. Um, what has happened today is that we had asked to, to be given a slot during the plenary and uh, that was refused. So we've got a limited time. So that is why we're also trying to push the NPA to finish much earlier. So thank you very much. Uh, so the floor is yours. Thank you, Chairperson, um, honorable members. Um, with the public protector team, Advocate Zaleka, uh, the deputy public protector, uh, Ms. Sibanyoni, the CEO, public protector South Africa, the CFO, Ms. Lusibane, the chief of staff, Mr. Libello, um, the acting chief operating officer, Ms. Mamabulo, and then all the executive managers, Ms. Mukhaladi, Ms. Mutsitsi, Advocate Nkabinde, and Advocate Stoffel Fori. Um, thank you so much for giving us this opportunity, indeed, Chairperson, to make sure that uh, we deal with these issues in the 30 minutes which we have been granted. Uh, we've got the Senior Manager Strategy. Mashabane, can you just reflect the presentation? Uh, quickly, and I won't take um, time. Thank you, PP. I'm disabled from sharing on the screen, so I just requested to be uh, enabled to share the presentation. Thank you. That has been done. All right. Um, all right. While well, sharing, Chairperson. 
Um, this is the sixth year presenting the strategy or the annual uh, performance plan of the Public Protector South Africa. And we had Vision 2023, which uh, we are succeeding in implementing. And we have achieved a number of those uh, pillars on access, um, especially also expanding on drop boxes to various um, municipalities and traditional council offices. We've also signed several MOUs with various state institutions. And uh, we have also expanded our footprint uh, by um, making sure that uh, we uh, also uh, design and uh, recently uh, uh, produced a mobile app, which uh, will be then uh, achievement of vision number eight, um, empowering people to be their own liberators because uh, all people with Android phone will be able to download that particular uh, app. And uh, what I will also indicate is that uh, going forward, we will um, focus on systemic investigations. As you know, we've conducted a number of systemic investigations uh, during the COVID period on procurement of PPEs. We've visited a number of hospitals. We've issued the reports, which are in uh, the process of being implemented. And uh, for this current financial year, we will focus on the systemic investigation in the justice sector, especially the issues of gender-based violence and the delay in paying of uh, uh, maintenance uh, to the various uh, recipients. And also we will focus um, on systemic failures by state institutions to pay small businesses within uh, the uh, 30 uh, days uh, period so that we can also then make sure that there's no undue delay in that particular aspect. I'll hand over to the uh, CEO uh, to take uh, the committee members through our um, outcomes. Uh, she will focus only on the outcomes. I hope honorable members have read our presentation so you know our vision, mission, and um, uh, our purpose statement. Over to you, CEO. Thank you, PP. Good morning, Honorable Chairperson, Honorable Members of the Portfolio Committee. Uh, as PP indicated, I'm just going to take you through the actual targets for the year, and I'm going to skip all the usual stuff. So starting with our outcomes that we aim to achieve as the Public Protector South Africa. First, it's accessible PPSA services to all communities in line with our mandate. And the second one is successful resolution of complaints that are lodged with us. The third one is the clean audit achieved and maintained since we've had two audit out, the clean audit outcomes already. And then we want to implement the ICT systems to optimally support our business processes. So I'll just take you quickly through our administration targets, which talk to the clean audit uh, that we want to maintain. As indicated, we already have two and we want to maintain the status quo over the MTF period. We also are in the process of implementing ICT systems to augment. We've finally developed the case management solution and we are implementing and we intend to implement it fully together with the mobile repair referral app that PP has mentioned so that we can get people to access our services easier and we can manage the, the caseload uh, appropriately to make sure that we do not create backlogs in that regard. And then, taking you through our efforts to successfully uh, 
resolve the complaints that have been reported to us, which talks to our investigation targets, which is our core business. The first one is we aim, aim this year to finalize 80 investigation reports, and then we will incrementally increase that to 90 in the next year and then 100 cases in the outer year. The second target would be the percentage adherence to the turnaround times. Just to remind the members that we have the turnaround times for different forms of different kinds of complaints reported to us. So we want to at least make sure that we finalize 80% of those matters within the turnaround time. And this is because we cannot aim for 100% because sometimes we are confronted with situations where there's a delay in provision of information by or the organs of the state, or sometimes we're required to get external expertise to assist us with more complex investigations. That's why we do not want to say we will finalize 100% because we know it might not be possible, but at least 80% must be finalized within the turnaround times. Then the next one also talks to our intention to resolve the complaints as the systemic investigations that the PP has mentioned already. And these are investigations emanate from the need that we identify through the number of uh, complaints lodged with us, where we have continuous complaints of a similar nature, then we institute a systemic investigation. So we aim to do three in the current financial year, and then we'll do four. And then in the outer year, we will do five systemic investigations. And in an effort again, to make sure that we continuously respond uh, appropriately and timeously to the complaints that are lodged with us, we will hold those bilateral meetings, uh, dialogues with the organs of the state to make sure that we have a common understanding in terms of our mandate and their, the expectation from our office and what is it we expect from them as the respondents to the many complaints that are reported to us. So we plan to have 10 of these dialogues this year and next year and another 10 in the outer year. And then we as a new target that we included this year, we believe it's important for us to keep the portfolio committee informed of the extent to which our remedial action is implemented, because this is important. This is a key driver for us to determine or to measure our measure of, 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 of success as a public protector, because producing a report is one thing, but the success of that investigation depends on the extent to which the remedial action is implemented. So on a quarterly basis, we will then submit those reports to yourselves so that you can also assist in nudging the, the, the department, the different departments to make sure that they implement the remedial action. So this, we see it happening through probably the different portfolio committees, but we thought you can be the conduit to us to access the other uh, portfolio committees. So the report will be submitted to yourselves and you can share with the others so that they can nudge their departments to implement the remedial action. Then again, then, how do we make sure that we are accessible, our services accessible? We do that through our stakeholder management strategy. And in this year, since the strategy was developed, we intend to uh, have 117 activities towards integrated access management strategy that was developed previously. And 108 of this will be through media and radio stations where we reach out to our, our clients on the ground to make sure that they can access us and they have the platform where they can raise the issues with us. We also plan to have nine, five national events, one good governance week and three collaborations with the community-based organizations. And this will include 
your traditional leaders, your faith-based organization, or just the community-based organizations that we can team up with so that we can have those as our ambassadors to communicate and to educate their communities. Try to exhaust all the other avenues of making sure that your your complaint is resolved before you can resort to reporting to the public protector. So we want to then use those as our ambassadors to educate, but also pick up problems in the in the communities and then help those people who want to access us to to access us. And then we will also then. So we plan to have 117 each year over the MTF period. Then the next one, I'm going to hand over to the chief financial officer to take us through the budget and we'll try to be as brief as possible and focusing on the key issues that drives our budget, our expenditure, as well as our budget pressures. Over to you, CFO. Thank you, Chairperson, if I may. Thank you, CEO. Good morning, Chairperson and honorable members. I'll first take you through our interim uh, expenditure versus budget for the previous financial year. CFO, I think you're muted. Well, we can hear her. Thank you, Chairperson. We started off the year with a budget of 331.8 million, and then we received an additional budget during the adjustment period in November last year of 30.8 million, which took us. I think us the CFO to... is still muted, Chairperson. No, we can hear her. If I, if I'm, if I'm, if I may, CFO, it seems as if you are struggling. I will just take over from here. Uh, this is this this presents a, a summary of our expenditure for the previous financial year, which was 2021-22. Uh, we our original budget was 331.884 million, and then later it was adjusted. We got an additional allocation of 30.8 million uh, through the Department of Justice, and then eventually we ended up with a budget of 362 million. And then we spent, from this, we spent 335.2 million and we have committed, commit, we still have commitments, but our variance indicates a budget of uh, a surplus of 27 million, which means then our expenditure then is 92 million. So if you can just move to, to the next slide. CFO, are we able to speak now or can I continue? Okay. Now, that, the previous slide was on our expenditure for the previous financial year, and this talks to our budget for the current financial year. Our revenue estimates, uh, the budget that was allocated for this year is 362.7 million. And then it will increase, it will decrease because we know uh, the treasury continuously decreases over the MTF. So we are projecting an, a surplus from the 359 million that was uh, our baseline allocated by the, through the department. We are projecting an interest of 2.6 million, and then we'll end up with a budget of 362.7 million. And for this year, which is 2022-23, which then should slightly in decrease by 0.2 percent over the MTF. Uh, on the next financial year to 3.360.3 million. And then it will further decrease by 4.7 million to, it will increase by 4.7% to 377%. The next slide. And this is just our budget uh, in, in line, 
on in line with the economic classification, we have 2.58 million for compensation of employees. Uh, we and in the previous financial year, this year, it has there's a reduction, so we have through 257.7 million for our COE. And then in the and then we have an allocation, we had an allocation of 99.7 million for goods and services in the previous financial year, which has decreased to 79.7 million in the current financial year and it will then decrease further to 79 point it will increase to 79.9 in the in the 2023-24 and then it will further increase to 86.7 in the 2024-25 which will be the outer year so basically the budget that we have this year will be 362 340 million and against the, the budget that we had last year of 362. So we can see that there is a slight decline to our budget. So the next slide then, will we'll, this is our classification per program. For administration, we have 139.4 million last year, and then this year it has increased to 148 million and it will, better, it will decrease in the next financial year to 144 million, and then again, slight increase over the outer year to 153.3 million. On investigations, which are our core business, we have 160, we had 168.2 million in the previous year. Slight increase to 197 million in the current financial year. And then in a slight increase again, 200 200.5 million in the next year. And then the outer year will increase it to 207 million. Stakeholder engagement, 15.2 million in the previous year, and this year we have 15 million. And then over the MTF next year, we'll have 15.4 million. And then in the outer year, 16.0 million for our stakeholder engagement. So we thought we should also share with the committee just some budget pressures that we, 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 we might experience in the current financial year. Uh, late last year, we received funding, additional funding. It was basically an approval from the National Treasury to retain the surplus that we had accumulated in the previous financial year. Unfortunately, the budget came very late in the year. We received approval around November, which was a bit late for us to either fill positions. Uh, we could fill some positions, but the biggest challenge became the procurement of goods and services because you know you cannot start advertising the tenders until you receive a budget by the time we receive a budget it was already in november and then in december we are not allowed in terms of the treasury rules to to advertise tenders and then again there was a moratorium on the procurement that was set by treasury subsequent to the constitutional uh, court judgment. So that created further delays so that it was really difficult to procure and we wanted that money to procure a primarily infrastructure, a ICT infrastructure, because that's critical for us as we expand and as we go digital as an institution. But we then projecting an under expenditure where we, we intend to fill uh, positions uh, especially in the core business. And now since we've started varying now the skills that we require as PPSA, because we realize that we need people who are differently skilled as well as in accountants probably and uh, auditors because some of the work requires us to have those skills. So we are then going forward then 
with the filling of positions, but we we are projecting an under expenditure of 15.1 million in the current financial year and the outer years, because these are carried through costs. So once we appoint somebody, we have to continue paying for the fees. We also thought we, it's important for us probably to have a radio studio office within the, our premises because it's going to work out cheaper to have our own studio because as a, by, it's, it's a requirement by law that our reports should be published. Now we always have these media engagements to publish our reports and we believe that if we have our own studio, it's going to work out cheaper for us. So for that, we require 200 million as a startup capital and then 20 million for licenses and maintenance going forward. So, and the other issue then that we, we require additional funding for is the subject matter experts. Like now we have an investigation that we're conducting, which is energy driven, it's energy related. We require people with expertise in energy because you do not just get those expertise anywhere. So we, we, we found the need then for us to acquire those skills. So we might need a budget probably of 2 million, but not only for the energy expertise, but for other expertise then that we, we require in other fields. So we, we, we also are establishing an in-house e-library, which requires some capital funding, because since we're digitizing everything, we thought it's important to, to, to have an e-library because it's going to be cheaper as well for us. We're also in, in the process of implementing an electronic document management system, which is also going to require maintenance and payment of licenses. And that's why then we require those additional funds. For the critical positions, we have 22 critical positions in investigations that we, we require to be filled in the current financial year. Hence, we feel we need that 15 million in this year and going forward because we have to pay, continue to pay for the salaries. Um, if go to the next slide. Uh, I think I've covered this. I've explained why we require the in-house studio because it's going to work out cheaper because it's, we need to also interface with our communities to make sure that they can access our services. And that's why we believe it's gonna work out cheaper if we have this. I've spoken to the subject matter experts that we require to assist us in various areas, including the forensic specialists and, and people qualified in the built environment to make sure that we are able to, to, to produce quality reports that are informed by quality information that comes from, uh, from exper experts. Uh, I think that concludes then. Uh, just to say that the targets as presented today, Chairperson, uh, in the, our APP took into account the available resources in terms of the people that we require and all the other resources required for us to perform our, our duties. But we are committed as always to continue to do more with the little resources that we have as PPSA because we are mindful of the fact that the, the public purse is stressed. So we also have to try to do more with what the limited resources that we have. And we'll also try to continue to improve efficiencies, primarily by you know, digitizing and making sure that we, we implement those ICT solutions that will fast track and will make sure that we provide a better service to our communities. Uh, but key to our work, as indicated previously, is to make sure that our remedial action is implemented. And that's why we're calling on then on Parliament to also assist. But we, we will continuously to robustly engage with the organs of state to make sure that they understand the importance of us being responsive, all of us as public servants, to be responsive to the needs of our communities. And that's why we have to work together as a collective to make sure that we respond to every complaint that has been lodged. 
whilst they are, we also encourage them to have their own internal dispute resolution mechanisms so that we do not have the PPSA overloaded by complaints, but the complaints can be addressed at source so that people get the, the necessary require, um, the help that they require before they even escalate the problems to the public protector. And we therefore then recommend that the portfolio committee considers the PPSA, APP, as presented today. Thank you very much, Chairperson. Thank you very much, Leo. Public Protector. Thank you very much, Chairperson, for the opportunity. PP, you're muted. No, CEO. (laughs) Your it's your system, it's not us. So if you can just address that there, even the CFO was not muted, maybe to correct that in-house radio is 200,000, uh, not 200 million. So over back to you, Chairperson. Uh, um, that's our presentation. We tried to limit our presentation as possible. Thank you very much. No, you were, you were right on time and you saved us a lot of time. Thank you very much. Uh, members, uh, any questions or comments? Uh, Advocate Brickenbach, followed by Honorable Velma Nigot Truchens. Uh, in that order, uh, Honorable Horn, Honorable Swart, Honorable Ramulu Ben, uh, Honorable Dennis Brickenbach. Thank you, Honorable Chairperson, and good afternoon to everybody. Um, The Public Protector has installed um, drop boxes uh, all over the country in all the provinces to improve access. Um, Has this initiative been successful? And if so, can you give us some sort of measure of the success? Sorry. Hector, that's my neighbor's dog. Sorry, not mine. It sounds too close. It sounds too close, Honorable Across the across a very small road, and a very big dog. I'd like to know from the public director how much has been spent by herself on litigation. A defending her reports and B, fighting her own impeachment. Uh, I'd like that amount quantified, please. Um, Then I would like to know what the position is with regards to security at all the public protector offices. Um, We know that one of the officers has good security. I'd like to know what the position is with the others and the progress towards achieving uh, proper security. And then uh, I'd like to know from the, I have so many questions, but I'll leave some for my, my colleagues. I'm mindful of the time. Um, there's a new, there's a, a new matter that was decided in, in January 2022. It's the Inhouting North High Court and CB versus the Public Protector, where the court noted that the Public Protector did not act within Section 7.9 a of her uh, empowering statute, she failed to comply with her constitutional obligations. This is deeply concerning that public funds are spent litigating in such a matter. 
Uh, and I think it requires an explanation. And so um, I, I look forward to hearing that explanation, please. Um, and I will leave the rest of the questions to my colleagues. If, if I'm not covered, uh, Honourable Chair, I will uh, ask for a second bite of the cherry. Thank you. Thank you very much. Honourable Newport, Drachen. Good afternoon, everyone, and um, good afternoon to the public protector and her team. Thank you for the presentation. Um, I'd like to know in the in-house solution units, um, I want to know if all your province's staff have that, those units, and who handles those units. Um, the complaints, firstly, and then secondly, I'd like to add to my uh, what Honourable Breitzenbach just said, the drop boxes. If, if you are considering to increase um, the number of, drop, uh, of those drop boxes in all the provinces, um, if you are considering to increase the e-library, I want to know uh, the e-library, who can access those e-libraries? Um, is it nationally and provincial, national and provincial staff? Are all of them able to, to, to access that? Then I see in your report 22 new uh, posts. Where are those posts? And what positions um, are those posts? And just a moment. The case management system. Um, what is the progress to date with regards to the case management system? Can you please brief us on that? And then as well as the um, the SAS CETA, the learnerships. Um, how many graduates did you get from that that learnership program, how many, and, and where have they been placed? I th think that is all for now. Thank you, Chair. Thank you very much, Honorable Newwood Frachens. Honorable Werner Horn. Yeah, thank you, Chair. Um, Chair, firstly, in respect of the, uh, the, the presentation as well as the APP and specifically around ICT, uh, when we had our oversight visit towards the end of January at the head office of the, the public protector, it was quite clear that there was a dire need to ensure that the the archive of the public protector be digitized and, and handled in an electronic manner going forward um, in that the, let's say, the paper-based files and documentation of historical matters seem to have, have taken on a life of its own in that office. And, and it was quite clear that if that could be worked away and digitized, uh, space would, would be less of an issue. 
Um, but it's not clear from the presentation in the APP as to whether that process will, will proceed. Uh, on the day, the, the information related to the component of the committee who undertook the oversight was that the, the public protector, through an in-house process, started with the scanning of, of documents, but that the ICT capacity of systems ultimately was not set up to enable the, the, this process in-house in, in a proper manner. Systems slowed down and, and um, storage capacity was quickly um, uh, depleted uh, through the, the attempt to embark on this process in an in-house manner. So I don't know whether we can be appraised as to where, whether there's been any further developments um, in, in respect of this matter. Um, then, Chair, I, I want to, uh, as, as my second question, just ask a few questions around the um, uh, report around um, SARS uh, released towards the, the end of April by the public protector. Um, I, I, while I am tempted, I won't ask whether it was coincidental that it was released on the same day as the latest Zonda report, uh, but I want to stick to a few questions on this specific um, release. Firstly, uh, whether we can be informed as to who the complainant in respect of this specific report around the IT contract of SARS stemming back to 2006 was. Secondly, uh, whether the public protector has considered uh, the impact of her spending resources on historical contracts of, of SARS um, in light of the dire need to, to deal with maladministration and corruption that is currently taking place, and specifically whether the public protector in dealing with this matter has, has taken on board any learnings around its attempt previously to, to, to deal with, with historical matters in the form of the, the Bangkok matter, which ultimately did not end well in terms of the the uh, judicial processes, uh, legal processes that that unfolded thereafter, um, and whether the public protector ultimately is satisfied that on a on an objective score, this investigation and finding served South Africa rather than a, a, a particular. Um, political interest. Thank you. Thank you, Honorable Hoy. Honorable Stilswart. Thank you, Chair. And with your permission again, I will keep the camera off. Chair, just a few and, and thank you to the presentation and um, appreciate the input. I just wanted to ask, uh, as far as the performance indicators are concerned, we, we welcome the, the um, increase in the number of investigation reports that will be finalized increased 50 to 80 and then to 90 in the following year to 100 and of course 
the inclusion of a new indicator, which is the number of quarterly reports on the implementation of remedial action submitted to Parliament. Now, that aspect is very important, Chair, given the fact that there are many instances where the public protector makes remedial action and it's not uh, findings which are not complied with by departments and it is an issue that has been raised before and I think this inclusion of the new indicator and the reports will assist Parliament, parliamentary committees in assisting the public protect in those regards. The one issue, the removal of the one indicator which is the percentage of cases two years and older which are finalised, I think that could be a cause of concern and maybe we could get an understanding unpacking why that indicator was removed. Uh, I think that and um, that that would assist us. Then can we have an update on the memorandum of understanding with the Auditor General where certain matters would be referred by the Auditor General to the Public Protector for further investigation? Have there been any matters in, in that regard? And then just Again, on the issue of the non-implementation of remedial action by state departments, the compliance unit at the public uh, protector seems to be under-resourced. Are there plans to um, improve uh, understanding financial constraints? Um, are there plans to improve the compliance unit? And then the update is on the acting positions at senior management level. Um, I might have missed it, but just on the chief operations officer, we understand there's an acting position there and there's also an acting executive manager, corporate services. Um, could we have an update on the process of updating those two positions? And then the issue of litigation costs has been ra raised by the Honorable Breitenbach. I look forward to receiving that information as well. The role of the public protector and other Chapter 9 institutions recently following the floods in KZN and the Eastern Cape when Chapter 9 institutions met and set up a nerve centre that is to be commended, uh, resulting in the collaborative approach to monitor exercise, due diligence and oversight over government disaster and relief efforts. Could we have some, an update on the on the progress in that regard, clearly there's been a lot of concerns about the possibility of the misappropriation of funds that have been allocated, uh, that will be allocated, the billions that will be allocated further um, to, to restore, rebuild KZN and, and the, the great need in that regard. And Chair, I don't think we are, will go into any detail on the Section 194 inquiry. Suffice to say that I think it is a bit of a concern when when we have utterances in public about uh, what is processing, whether it's the utterances against the president or parliament or other uh, bodies. Or I think we, we we maybe should not go into that because it's subjudicate, obviously. But I think maybe there should be greater caution than when one makes utterances in part in, in the public domain. But I'll leave it at that. Thank you, Chair. Appreciate the input. Thank you very much, Honorable Swart. Uh, Honorable Ramolo Ben.
Thanks, Chair. Um, good. I'm not sure it's still morning or good afternoon, colleagues. Um, mm -hmm. And Chair, let me also welcome the presentation from the Public Protector, South Africa. Um, I will not touch much on issues that are raised by colleagues that have spoken, but I would also appreciate um, Shamalani, uh, can you mute yourself? Thanks, Chair, um, for protecting me from Shamalani. Uh, Chair, let me also acknowledge or welcome the initiative on the issues of um, of flood relief efforts from KZN and the Eastern Cape that is being done by the institution. Um, I think this would, would, would make sure that we don't have commissions and all sorts of things after the disaster matter. Um, but Chair, Honorable Swart already has made indication on the indicator that has been removed, has emphasized on it. That is also one thing that I see clarity on especially in relating to backlog cases, if they do have. Um, again, Honorable Swart has made mention on the two acting positions that has been highlighted. Are there any plans to fill those positions? And how long have we had them in those acting capacity? Um, chair on the Saseta learnerships. Um, there is a partnership of SASETA and the institution. Um, I would like to, to find out from a number of graduates that have been employed in, in the public protector in this financial year, 2022 to 2023, how many have been retained by the institution um, from the previous financial, financial year. And Chair, Another matter based on the oversight that we did in the late January as okay. Honorable Horn has made an indication on. Um, there was an indication that there is a high level of security risk um, since last year, November. And I see the security matter, it's not included under the request for additional funding. Has the institution managed to find a solution to the problem that doesn't require additional budget allocation? Um, if they did, can they um, give us that plan or ferry us with that information? If not, why is it no request for additional budget allocation to mitigate this matter because of it's a serious matter that speaks to the security of the officers? Um, the last matter, Chair, it would be, according to the website, walk-ins are still not permitted or allowed in the offices. I would like to get clarity whether this is still the case, the case in point. And if so, why are we not allowing offices to be accessible? Bearing in mind the current regulations um, and that of our, the institution offices should be accessible to members of the public. So those are my questions and clarity check. Thank you. 
Thank you. Thank you very much, Honorable Ramulubin. Um, Honorable Nevotraha, I saw your hand at some point, it was up. Are you now covered? No, Chair. Um, I just typed one question in the chat, if they could add in their responses. Okay, thank you very much. Um, I just have some few questions of my own. Um, I think the first one links to what Honorable Ramulubeng has raised about security. How does this video fight work? Because you, from the report, you seem to have uh, um, found a solution or an alternative to security guards mending your, your, your offices through this video fight. How does it work? And then there is also the implementation of your mobile referral app. It was supposed to have been implemented by 31st March 2021. Then the target was not met, but extended to 31st March 2022. Uh, can you update us on how far are you with respect to this uh, uh, target? And then... Um, how are you ensuring that you are more accessible to women? Um, because there is a report that says about 29% of women uh, lodge complaints with the office, as opposed to 63% of men who lost uh, their complaints with the office. Is there any collaboration with, the, with institutions like... Uh, the Gender Commission to educate women more about the importance of the office and how the office can be relevant to, to them. Uh, the target on number of reports finalized is based on what? Because it has suddenly shoot. It is based on what? Did you increase the number of investigators? what will give rise to the sudden production outcomes. So if you, if you, if you employed more investigators, uh, you increase them by, by what percentage, that will be important. I think Honorable Swart has covered me on the cases older than two years. And then the finalization of cases within 10 around from, uh, times, in 2020 and 2021 financial years, you achieved 95% uh, in adherence to your turnaround times. But now you are setting a target of 80% in 2022 and 2023 over the medium term. What would account for the drop between 80 and 95%, if you're able to achieve 95%, why are you setting your target at, uh, at 80%? And then this uh, interagency training, have any matter being referred? Because it's, a, it's an interagency uh, MOU between yourselves and the AG. Have you, reserved, uh, have you referred any matter to the AGs in terms of this uh, uh, MOU? Uh, those are my questions. Oh, okay, the last one. Um, there is a sudden decrease 
in matters before you, in new matters being lost, about 57% decrease. What gives rise to that 57% decrease in, in new matters? Uh, can you uh, can you assist us to understand what gave to the 57% decrease in new matters? Mm -hmm. Thank you very much, uh, PP. Maybe, maybe before you, you answer, PP, I'm not sure about the target of the three months reports to the portfolio committee. Uh, my understanding, uh, members would collect, cor correct me if I'm wrong, it would be better if those reports are sent to the speaker um, because there is a unit that deals with the support to chapter nine institutions. Then the speaker, if the speaker deems it fit that she must refer those reports to us, then she will. But it is also possible the speaker can decide looking at the portfolio committees that would be affected. The speaker might decide from her office to direct part of the report to those uh, portfolio committees. Uh, I think it would work out better that way, much faster. She has the authority to refer matters to any committee, even to establish an other committee uh, to deal with specific issues. I think it would take a much longer if you refer uh, matters to the portfolio committee without the speaker, because we, we would still have to get a mechanism of channeling those reports to the relevant portfolio committees which would affect the relevant mm -hmm. government departments. For instance, if there's something about home affairs, then we will have to refer it back to the portfolio committee on home affairs. But it works much easier if it comes from the speaker. If I'm wrong, mm -hmm. I think uh, the members are quite at uh, liberty to give a much more uh, relevant answer because what is important is that this process needs to be assisted. It's a serious issue that has been identified. It has to do with service delivery. We need to find the most, the most appropriate mechanism to ensure that blockages are unlocked. Over to you, Advocate Mkwebane. Thank you, Honorable Chairperson. Thank you, Honorable Members. Um, I will request my team to assist uh, Jefferson with the responding to the questions um, uh, on the issues of uh, drop boxes and access, the measure of success, um, the issue of litigation uh, reports and uh, on the reports and the impeachment. On that one, I will ask that we provide Jefferson uh, with a written uh, response on that. On the issue of security in all offices, the CEO will address all this. And uh, the issue of uh, um, in-house uh, solution, CEO will, will address uh, that. The e-library, uh, the DPP will kindly assist us on, on responding to that. And uh, the issue of case management system and the setters, CEO will respond. And uh, I will then respond on the um, others and the issue of the MOU, 
with the referrals from AGSA and any other institution, the CEO and the DPP will, will assist in, in responding to that, uh, including the uh, issue of uh, the um, security, the number of investigators, and uh, why we removed the two-year um, um, target of uh, older cases. So I'll start by handing over to DPP. You can cover as much uh, as you can uh, on, on over to you. Thank you, Pablo Protector. A very good morning, Honorable Chairperson, and to the Honorable Members of the Portfolio Committee. Uh, Public Protector, I will start then with the questions by Honorable Newhart on the e-library, on who can access it. Yes, indeed, the e-library will be accessible to all staff members. It is the reason why we are implementing the e-library because the current uh, or the form that was implemented before of a physical library is not accessible um, to the provincial and the regional offices, but also it is also um, financially beneficial if we have an e-library because we do not have to duplicate um, the books and the information. And the procurement on the e-books is underway, which um, will benefit um, all staff members of the Public Protector South Africa. And this will also include the information management of the institution so that all have access to the footprint um, of the institution. Further on the issue of the MOU, uh, Honorable Swart, yes, um, we, we do have an MOU with the AG and we have uh, referred matters to the AG. AG, I just do not have the statistics at hand of how many matters have been referred to the AG. And further that uh, this MOU has been beneficial to us because even with the COVID um, matters, we did meet with the former late um, AG Makwetu, where he, he indicated that matters would be referred to the public protector. The AG did also brief us on a report that uh, they had concluded post those investigations for us to interrogate and, and look into the, into the matters which we might not have dealt with, which we need to deal with. And currently, we are in engagement with the with the AG in respect of. Um, the flood funds which have been allocated to the Eastern Cape as well as to KZN to ensure that there is instant um, referral to the public protector and that we do not wait for a final report. So as and when they pick up on the issues, we will then be able uh, to receive referrals from them. And further, um, Public Protector, I wish to deal with the issue of the MCB matter, which Honorable Breitenbach has raised, uh, where the court found that the Public Protector uh, had failed to, to uh, give an Audi in respect of the remedial actions in the matter 
Honourable members, um, we have done an assessment as the Office of the Public Protector on the main issues and principles which um, the courts would outline in the judgments um, specifically against the Public Protector. And we have actually outlined what those issues are and um, they have hence uh, most of them been been rectified. And part of that is the issue of the inclusion of the remedial actions in in the Section 7-9. I think that has been implemented even before the Constitutional Court judgment in this regard. Um, That is that from my side, Public Protector, unless there's other issues that you would wish me to deal with, maybe after you have looked at um, the responses. I thank you, Chairperson. Thank you. Thank you very much. CEO. Thank you. Can you hear me now? Am I audible? Thank you very much. Thank you, Chairperson. I'll, I'll start with the, the, the issue of the video fight security. The video fight security, we believe for now it's sufficient because in most cases we share the offices with some with other people, with other departments or other organizations. So it's not possible for us to deploy security because it will mean we'll, if we deploy physical security, it means we provide security for everybody in the building. So we put video fight means we have cameras and the video recording. And then on a weekly basis, then on, on a daily basis, our admin officers then view the video to check the movement, what has been happening in the building, where we occupy the space to make sure that if there's anything unto what, then we immediately bring it to the service provider so that we can do, do action or we bring it to the attention of the, of, the, of the police because of the sharing, we cannot have our own physical security in every building. So that's why we opted for the video file because it only focuses on our space that we occupy. Then the number of drop boxes, we have 45 drop boxes so far at strategic points, but we've started a process to procure most uh, other drop boxes. And we are working with our other partners, our stakeholders to identify areas. As we mentioned earlier on that, we're also teaming up with the traditional leaders. So we see ourselves actually putting some of the drop boxes in some of the traditional councils to make sure that they are easily accessible by our communities. And that's why we wanted to train as well the traditional authorities so that they're able to assist the people in their communities to lodge these complaints with the public protector using those drop boxes. And then on a weekly basis, then we send our officials to go and retrieve whatever has been dropped into our boxes so that we analyze and then we can either investigate and then give feedback to the complainants in as far as their matter is concerned. There was a question as well about the posts that we, we, we have the 22 posts. The, the most of the bulk of those posts are in, in um, investigations, which is our core business, especially in the, in, the, in the provinces. We have people who come and go and such that we, we always continuously have vacant positions. And so we are going to be filling those posts and then the, the compliance unit has been flagged as one of the units that's undercapacitated, grossly so. So some of the posts then will be, uh, some of the people will be appointed then to facilitate that process to make sure that we follow up on remedial action and we are able to hold uh, 
departments accountable from time to time. Because as the members, honorable members correctly said it, we, we have remedial action that's not implemented and we do not have a capacity to follow up on a weekly basis because for some, we actually have to be following up on a weekly basis to make sure that the actions are taken as quickly as possible so that people can get better proof. The case management solution we have completed the development of the case management solution. We are currently in the process of migrating data. Unfortunately, our data is sitting in different formats and shapes, which is taking a while because some is on Excel documents and there's some information on web documents. So it has to be converted first and then migrated onto the system, but the system has been developed and we intend to go full implementation with effect from June at least. That's when we envisage that the migration of data would have been completed so that we are able to then implement the, the system. The, the issue about learnerships, in the previous years, in the previous year, we had 11, uh, we had 15. We, we, we have a, that, that partnership with, uh, with SACITA that provides us with intents. So of those that we had previously uh, uh, given space to practice, we were able to absorb 11 of those. In the current financial year, we have 15 intents and we intend to get more and we, we, because we believe this is an opportunity for us to get young people and train them on our investigation methodology so that we can absorb them. And we know that they have a good basis because we would have trained them ourselves. They, from Honorable Horn, there was an issue of the digitization of our archives, of our records. We have procured a service provider who's currently busy developing the document management solution electronic document management solution, and we plan to go live by the end of this month. So the system is under development now and will go live at the end of May. Mm, there's a question about, okay. The, the, the issue of the, 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 I don't know whether people want to address this one, but we'll come back to issue of why we investigated the SARS matter. I think we'll address it at the end. Um, but there was an issue about the, 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 the change of the, the target, the fact that the concern that we dropped the target on the old, on the backlog matters. It was deliberate because our stance is that you don't plan to fail. If you plan for a backlog, it means you know you're going to create a backlog. So what we've done since last year, August, we've started a project to, to, do, to do away with the entire backlog. So thus far, we, 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 we are on track to finalize at least 90% of the backlog matters by the end of June. So once we finalize all those matters, because we have the first phase of the backlog uh, project, which delivered 48% of the old matters were cleared. And then we started a second phase from October last year, which delivered 63% of the backlog matters. So it mm -hmm. means we are on track to finalize. But what we're doing as well, together with the backlog, with the backlog matters, we also identifying other matters that we call pre-backlog. So if a matter, we believe a matter is running, is lagging behind, and it might result in a backlog, we already projectize it. We're projectizing that. We've developed a new uh, solution, a new way of doing this, of doing project management now, where we divide people into phases so that we put all our resources to go together to focus on the backlog matters and the pre-backlog matters because we don't want to create another backlog. And that's the reason why we, we drop that, because we don't want to further creating a backlog 
So from now on, going forward, we're not going to have any backlog. That's why we felt we should drop that because otherwise we'll be planning to fail. And then there was an issue of the, okay, I've spoken about the compliance that's under-resourced. Um, I'm going to, to, at a later stage, hand over to my colleagues to respond to the issues that are investigation-related, like uh, such as the matter that was raised, where it was said that we didn't comply with the Section 7.9 notice. Uh, that's why we were found wanting by the court. So I'm going to hand over to the acting COO and, the, and, and advocate for it to help us in that regard. There was another question about the two acting positions. I believe that that's the position of the acting COO as well as the position of the corporate services EM. We, have, we are undergoing an organizational development study currently because we just want to confirm whether we are correctly configured to deliver on our mandate before we can fulfill in some of the strategic positions. Because once you fill, some, you fill a post and you give somebody a five-year contract, and then after the OD exercise, you realize you don't need this person. It becomes really difficult to deal with those. So we'd rather wait for the OD exercise. We've received the first draft report, uh, and there was some other work that needed to be done because that OD exercise is, is coupled as well with a skills audit. So once we get the final report from the service provider, which we envisage would probably be at the end of June, then we will implement and then we will take decisions then whether we want to continue to, 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 to have a position of a corporate services as well as a COO, or how do we structure the two positions and then take decisions whether we want to fill both of them or either of them. Mm. The, the issue of allowing the members into or the members of the public into our office, we've revised that and we are now going to allow the members of the public. I think what we didn't do, what we, we, which was an oversight on our part, is to update our website to inform the members of the public that they can now in, uh, invite, uh, visit our offices because we are now allowing walk-ins into our offices. And then there was a question from the chairperson of why we changed the, the target from 95, we achieved 95%, uh, now we, we downgraded to 80%. And it's because primarily when we put this target, we were saying we will achieve 95% of matters reported within a particular time frame. So we had parameters to say, if a matter is reported within this time frame, we should be able to finalize it. But now we've removed those parameters. So any matter that we receive, it doesn't matter what matter it is. It can be a complex matter. It can be, we have to finalize it within the turnaround time. So that's why we're saying now 80%, at least 80% without a fail of all the matters irrespective of when they were reported, should be finalized within the, 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 the turnaround time. And that's the difference that, 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 that we brought into this. And I'm going to now hand over to Ms. Um, Mamabolu to provide an input to uh, some of the matters that relate to core business. But I specifically want the, our investigators, uh, one of our EMs, uh, preferably uh, advocate Ms. Mokaladi, or advocate for it to respond to the question about the section 7.9 that we didn't uh, adhere to and then we were found wanting. Can I hand over to you, Ms. Mamabalu? I think uh, that question was answered by DPP CEO of um, the MCB Meta. And I think DPP has stated that, um, yes, it's unfortunate that the Concord 
um, the, the, the High Court, yes, implemented the Concord, even though that report was issued prior the Concord judgment, though we have already started including the remedial action. So I think, uh, Ms. Mamabulu, you can uh, address the issue of uh, SARS, um, who was the complainant and why we issued that report and what this report is intending to do uh, going forward, since we are an institution which when we issue reports and we expect that uh, we um, deal with the systemic challenges and futuristic and uh, whether um, what transpired with that contract of SARS, um, will it be allowed in any other contract uh, per section 217 of the, of the constitution? And I think you can also then um, deal with the issue of um, uh, the, um, the number of reports which have increased, why that is the case, because it's, it falls within a core and uh, I think uh, the issue of uh, the uh, 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 access, I think we will need to just say it was an oversight. CEO and the communications team must make sure that they agently correct that on our website because uh, walk-in complainants are, are, are allowed uh, access in the office. Over to you, Ms. Mamabulu. And then I'll hand over to DPP to also deal with the issue of women. Um, who access our services and what are we doing as far as that is concerned. Ms. Mamabun. Thank you very much, uh, Public Protector. Good afternoon to the Chairperson and Honorable Members. Uh, my name is Letabo Mamabolo. I will respond to the questions as indicated by the Public Protector. In relation to the SARS report, um, we don't choose which matter we investigate. We investigate all matters um, that are brought for us brought forward to the public protector, obviously with um, giving regard to section 69 determination in terms of the public protector act, uh, where the PP has a discretion, I'll refer to the public protector as the PP uh, from now on, um, in terms of investigating matters that are where the incidents were more than two years ago. So if the special circumstances compel the public protector's office then to continue with the matter, we do continue with the matter. So the, investi the complainant was Mr. Mani, and uh, we, we, we investigated um, SARS based on the allegations. We went through the process of phase one, two, three, and four of gathering information, um, interviewing the respondents and um, exchanging of correspondences with SARS. There was also meetings scheduled with the commissioners um, in terms of taking this matter forward. The preliminary investigation ensued and there were findings based on what should have happened, what happened um, in terms of the merits of the matter. I don't want to delve in the merits of the matter because report 104 uh, is available on our website unless if the chairperson would enable me to do that. But in the interest of time, I will then not get into the merits of the matter. So we have uh, received, we've served section seven nines to all the affected parties and received the responses which were uh, analyzed and incorporated into the reports. And, and, and what we also did is in analyzing the responses, we've also identified some governance related issues um, where we deem it necessary for an institution like SARS to be um, upholding the constitution, to be leading by example, because it is one institution really that needs to be seen um, both 
in appearance and um, independently to be in an institution that um, gives regard to the constitution and the, the laws of this country. So uh, on, on that one, I'll leave it there, Chairperson. However, if there is any follow-up question regarding to the SARS matter, we can submit a written response. In relation to the KZN Eastern Cape Flats, we have, um, as one of the honorable members correctly pointed out, developed a public protector act, I'm sorry, public protector action plan in relation to our intervention within the two respective um, provinces. Then what, are we, what we are doing now with the different teams that are set out in the two provinces, we are now tailor making this plan to the specific uh, incidents of, of each province. Um, so we have now drilled down that plan into an intervention and stakeholder plan where we've identified the, the, the stakeholders that are relevant for the Eastern Cape and the KZN. And we've got our different coordinators and different teams in different affected districts that are um, on the ground and feeding the information back to us. So there has been progress. We started with the project on the 22nd of April and we are in tune to prepare our progress report in terms of the efforts by the public protector um, throughout the two provinces. And we are also earmarking other provinces that are affected. And then we would also be taking lessons learned from the two provinces um, uh, going forward. And yes, we are collaborating with the Auditor General. Uh, we are in constant consultation. There is a um, response uh, colleague from the office of the AG that um, with from myself um, um, representing core business, I am in um, constant consultation with. So we do exchange information and from time to time we, we do meet and, and strategize going forward. In relation to the third question of um, the APP target, CEO has addressed that question, but just also to supplement what the backlog and pre-backlog project has also done was to ensure that while we clearing the backlog, which is now in our operational plan, we identify what resulted in the backlog. And what we have identified in terms of our observation was that we were individualizing the matters, even the matters that we could consolidate and use a collaborative effort. So we have now developed an integrated turnaround strategy which seeks or has been piloted for the past six months since um, uh, October last year. And that model really is pulling and pushing resources nationally on the matters. What we've also done is centralized the allocation of the matters because we are mindful that at this point in time, we are receiving um, complaints every single day. In a week, we get an average of about 80 matters. From those matters, some are referrals to different institutions, some are matters that we have to investigate. So from the matters where we have established jurisdiction and we are not referring, we then allocate those matters nationally, regardless of where the matter was registered and lodged with the public protector. This enables that the investigators, we currently have an average um, of about 100 and uh, 40 odd investigators that would include the new appointees, which we are also training, um, which shares a caseload of about 1,966 matters. So as at the end of March, this uh, previous financial year, 
we had about 1,966 um, matters caseload per classification, your GGI matters, your service delivery matters, as well as your uh, early resolution matters. Within that, that population, we also have uh, early um, emergency matters, uh, which are also projectized and rapid response matters. Um, Pete, I don't know if I've responded to all the questions or did I leave something out? I think one, um, we've increased of reports and uh, the matters, matters which um, have been lodged are decreasing. I think that one deals with the, the rapid response in the CSM and the referral to other institutions. And I think, Chairperson and Honorable Members, that's the intention of um, having this uh, mobile referral app because we want people to be their own liberators. We want people to hold the public servants to account, public servants to do their work so that they use the public protectors and office of last uh, resort. So the mobile referral app uh, chairperson has been achieved, as I indicated. Um, the, 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 the app will be launched, but then it has been fully developed. Yes, it was not achieved in the previous year, but then the, the app is finally uh, uh, available. So, Litabo, you can just address uh, those two issues. Thank you, Pippi. Um, yeah, yeah. So, as, as I continue, Chair and Honorable Members, the number of reports that we have, okay, that we have then um, invoked a strategy where we are issuing reports on a monthly basis. We commenced in October with our Good Governance Month, where the public protector, the deputy public protector and the CEO issued um, reports monthly, weekly in October, uh, giving life to our Good Governance Month. We then continued with that strategy as an office to issue reports on a monthly basis. It is one to address us being visible and uh, also leaving a legacy of touchstone reports on matters that we are finalizing. Why as well we have uh, resolved to issue reports on a monthly basis? It is also to give life or um, to see the implementation of the backlog project because the backlog project, um, the outcome of the backlog project is the resultant finalization of the matters. So we are alive to the fact that if we then bundle the reports and then we don't issue them while um, they are ripe and while we have an opportunity to issue them all at once, we will now be faced with a situation that by the end of the backlog project, we have a number of reports which we have not issued. So we have now since been issuing reports monthly. Um, and before we issue those reports, there are numerous quality assurance mechanisms that are unfolding within the office through the combined assurance model. And we've got our weekly quality assurance committee which tables those reports, interact with those reports and the evidence. And then we table those reports at the full bench, which is the committee of the executive authority where we uh, table the matters and, 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 and take them forward. So before each and every media briefing, again, that is in terms of our operational plans, both of core business as well as the private office, we then um, take the reports through those quality assurance mechanisms and we release reports. Um, just to give a rough figure, as at the end of quarter three, quarter four, January, February, and March, we've issued collectively 37 reports. It's a combination of formal reports where allegations were substantiated, closing reports where allegations were not substantiated, uh, intervention letters where we have intervened to resolve a matter 
um, during or before the investigation. So we issue what we call an intervention letter because we, we, we are then saying there were efforts uh, into the into the preliminary investigation or into the engagement. So we can't just close that matter, then we issue an intervention letter. We also uh, issue what we call an advisory report. Um, this is where we then advise the institution on what is it that they need to change in terms of their processes, where there are process failures or control deficiencies, and it does not uh, warrant to issue a Section 79 notice, which is a provisional report where, where, where matters are um, uh, allegations are substantiated. So in, 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 in holistically, that would be the approach that we have undertaken. And um, it is going forward into this coming financial year. It is the, the, the competency of, of the institution then to release those reports on a monthly basis. The mobile referral app, as already alluded, will assist again chairperson and honorable members to um, uh, increase on accessibility giving life to Vision 2023, I think it's pillar number eight. Um, because as you, you are well aware, uh, Chair and Honorable Members, we've got a public protector who is on Twitter, on spaces, on um, everywhere where she's advocating on the work of the public protector, meeting with the executives from the different provinces. So to enhance um, that leadership and that visibility, the mobile referral app, will also assist us to access that gogo in a rural area where the youngster in the household has a smartphone and they can lodge the complaint without leaving the house. And then we populate those complaints into the, the master file. Currently, we are still working in a fully automated manual environment. However, as CEO has indicated, we are now uh, at data migration and it will include the efforts of the mobile referral app in terms of linking those complaints that are received through the app to the master file to ensure that we account for our cases from a completeness point of view and an accuracy point of view uh, to enable us to respond to all the complaints received either through a full-blown investigation, a preliminary investigation, or a rapid response matter, a systemic investigation, such as maybe water issues in a specific area where we can invoke a systemic investigation. Thank you very much, PP. I hand back to you. Thank you, Chairperson. Um, let me give the, the DPP an opportunity to add and CEO to add um, on, on the issues. Thank you. Thank you, Public Protector. Thank you, Chairperson. Um, I would like to add on the issues of the women, um, the 29% that was alluded to, which um, are the complaints that we receive and the collaborations which we are embarking on. Honorable Chairperson, we are collaborating with women-led and NGOs that are particularly dealing with issues um, affecting women in order to bring awareness of accessibility of our, of our office to women uh, through the simulcast that we've done and through the webinars and also outreaches um, that we've done. We might have only 29 individual um, complaints that have been reported to us, but I wish to inform the portfolio committee that we are currently embarking on a systemic investigation into looking into the justice system in attending to gender-based violence matters as well as maintenance matters, which are highly issues uh, which affect women. Uh, we started with this systemic investigation last year, as well, and we are hoping to 
concluded um, before the end of this financial year, but also in the systemic investigation, which we are dealing with in respect of the state of the higher education system, we have also done work where we've looked into the security and safety of women in campuses. We've engaged um, SAPS in this respect, and SAPS has already developed and concluded a plan which has been um, handed over to the university in respect of the safety and the risks that they have picked up in respect of um, women on campuses. We will also ever look into collaborating with the Gender Commission. We welcome um, the, the suggestion by yourself, um, Honorable Chairperson. Further, Chairperson, in respect of the implementation of the remedial action, I wish to state that we have now decentralized the implementation of the remedial action in order to relieve the pressure from the head office and and ensure optimal and effective um, impact of the implementation of the remedial action, wherein we have looked into um, the jobs of the um, our outreach offices in the provinces, since now there is not so much physical outreach that we are doing, we have now included in their work plans uh, the implementation of the remedial actions. Now the head office will only be overseeing and dealing with the national departments. I must however state, um, Honorable Chair, that we have seen quite impactful and increase in the implementation of the remedial actions, particularly in the provinces. This has proven about when we were doing uh, our roadshows in, um, in the provinces. And further, PP, just to further explain the, the issue of the rapid and, and emergency response to matters by CSM, which shows um, which impact shows a decrease in the number of matters that we are investigating. We have now um, looked into the call center. The, the investigators who are there in the call center are now, because they are legally qualified. They are now looking at these matters and dealing with them uh, instantly rather than referring them to the branches for full investigation. And this is also to optimize our investigations into more complex and broader matters. And further that through our MOUs um, with the stakeholders and government in particular, we are able to instantly refer matters where complaints have not gone to government and, and directly came to us. And we also a response uh, in respect of these matters by government by ensuring that um, we do monitor these matters on a month-to-month -month basis and government does then report to us in respect of uh, how have they assisted the complainant and we also verify with the complainant on whether they have been assisted. And lastly, Chairperson, on the issue of how we ensure accessibility to the disabled and particularly the deaf communities, again, through our webinars and our simulcasts, um, we do have a sign language um, interpreter, and we are interacting quite vastly and including with our counterparts in the Chapter 9 institutions 
who are responsible um, for this particular portfolio on our accessibility. Our information pamphlets also, we are now printing them in Braille. However, Chairperson, because of our limited resources, we are unable to go as far as we wish to, but we are planning to as an institution and see how can we uh, take from the limited resources that we have to, sh- to ensure um, further accessibility to these communities. I thank you. Chairperson, um, CEO, you wanted to add? Uh, thanks, PP. I, I just wanted to, to add to the issue of the SARS investigation without believing, believing the point. But I think it's, it's important for the members to notice that this is not an old matter because the contract that was entered into irregularly some years ago, it's still ongoing. And at some point there was an intervention by the public protector where SARS was requested to restart the process and issue a tender. That happened, they issued a tender and apparently there was some challenge by another service provider. So they abandoned that process and continued with the irregular tender. So this is a matter that's current. It's not really old because the contract is still in force up to today. Thank you, Chair. I think there was a question by Honorable Breitenbach on the costs, the litigation costs. Okay, Um, CFO, are you able to answer or must we request that you respond in writing? Thank you, PP and Jefferson. We do not have a breakdown per meta in terms of how we account on our system. We therefore request that we provide the information at a later stage. We only have one account of legal fees, which now has a lump sum of every expenditure throughout the financial year. So if we may, Jefferson, uh, submit the information at a later stage. Thank you. Thank you very much. Yes, thank you, Chairperson. And I think once on that particular issue, um, well, when we submit the information, uh, CEO will also then, uh, CFO, we will also include um, the pro bono work which is done by the SC uh, as far as other matters are concerned, especially the issue of the, of the impeachment. Thank you. Thank you very much. Can we have can we have that breakdown and submitted by the thirty first of July? Quiet. Yes, Jefferson, it's possible. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Mr. Chair, may I ask something, please? Okay, I'd recognize firstly to be Honorable Neville Strachans and Honorable Breckenbach. But we must be mindful about of two o'clock uh, uh, sitting. Honorable uh, thank, you. thank you, Chairperson. Um, thank you for responding to all the questions. Just the one thing, maybe um, with regards to the new investigators you spoke about, um, maybe if you can respond in writing with, with regard to that, please. What about the new investigators? Just a moment, Chair. Oh, sorry, the investigative model, investigative model, um, if they can give us a a, a response in writing on on the investigative model, please. Oh, okay. 
Yeah. Can you also get that by the 31st of July? Yes, we will do that, Chairperson. And uh, I think the last time we informed you about it, and we also then informed you about the progress um, uh, on how we have uh, gone about in, in that new model. We will we'll submit that. And we'll also submit the progress which we've made in the KZN and, um, and uh, Eastern Cape, which we've done. We will also then submit also a, a preliminary um, um, work which has been done so far. Thanks. Thank you very much. Uh, Honorable Venus Breitenbach. Uh, thank you, Mr. Chair. Uh, the, office is, the Office of the Public Protector has undertaken to reply to my question about the litigation cost in writing. I, I'd like that reply in seven days, please. Honorable Breitenbach, what is the request? I would like the written reply to my question about litigation costs. I would like the reply in seven days, please. Um, but we had already asked them for the 31st of July. Uh, no, Chair, I don't think it needs to take until the 31st of July. We're now in the middle of May. Uh, it's a simple question about litigation costs and uh, and I would like to reply long, long before the 31st of July. There's absolutely no reason for it to take that long. Thank you. Uh, public protector, would you be able to meet the deadline? Um, CFO, are we able to um, do that within seven days? Or what is the um, timeline we, we need earlier? Thank you, uh, PP and Jefferson. If, if it can be seven working days instead of seven days, we can try and squeeze ourselves, although we are in the middle of the financial year end where we're compiling our financial statements, we, we can try and, and, and do that. Mr. Chair, I presuppose that it's seven working days, of course. Thank you. So you'll be able to meet the seven working days? We will do our best, Jefferson. Okay. Thank you. Thank you very much. Are there any outstanding replies? I think the issue of the portfolio, the referral of reports. Uh, Machabane, can you show that slide which deals with the referral? I think we said parliament because indeed we should be referring it to the speaker mm. who then refer it to various committees um, mm. within the legislature assisted by the Office of the Institution Supporting Democracy. Mm. So yes. I should be captured like that, Chairperson. I agree with you. Okay. No, thank you very much. Uh, thank you very much for the briefing and for also for the work done. And but much more importantly for the innovation, uh, your video fight innovation, I think is very much encouraging because the reality of the matter is that uh, the financial crunch will be with us for some time. So we are calling upon all managers in state institutions and departments. And although we will do what we can as, as, a, as a portfolio committee to ensure that we fight for budgets not to be cut, especially for chapter nine institutions, but 
we also call upon for more innovation and using the resources that have been given to us uh, sparingly and ensuring that for each rent, we derive maximum benefit. And if there are other means, ways and means of ensuring that we can stretch the rent through collaboration and other innovative means, let's try and do that within the confines of the law, but let's try and be innovative. We are still going to be with this financial crunch for a very long time. But thank you very much for, 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 for that innovation that you have shown. And also on other issues, the emphasis on collaboration, I think is highly appreciated. Um, it's important that uh, government institutions or state institutions should not see themselves as republics on their own, but should see themselves as part of one state. Therefore, it's important that we, when, in whatever way um, we should be working towards achieving one goal, pulling all our resources to achieving that particular goal. So the relationships that you are starting with the South African Human Rights Commission, with mm -hmm. the Ulster General and many other institutions, even the uh, institutions of civil society are highly appreciated. Thank you very much. We will see you when you come back uh, in October for the BRRR reports. And please ensure that uh, you meet the deadlines that we have agreed on, this, on the submission of the requested information. And one is seven working days, then the other ones should be submitted by the 31st of uh, July uh, this year. Thank you very much, uh, PP and Deputy Public Protector, CEO, and members of the Public Protector South Africa team. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Chairperson and Honorable Members. Thank you very much, Members. The meeting is adjourned. Thank you, Chairperson and Honorable Members. Thank you, Thank you Chair. You. Good afternoon, everyone. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye. Recording stopped.